Another eloquent voice against World War I was that of Eugene Debs, the railroad union organizer and leader of the Socialist Party. On June 18, 1918, he addressed a mass rally of workers in Ohio, knowing that his words could lead, as they did, to his arrest and imprisonment. His sentence of 10 years was upheld by unanimous Supreme Court decision. Here is the speech that led to his arrest. Sam Johnson declared that patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. He must have had the Wall Street gentry in mind, or at least their prototypes. For in every age it has been the tyrant, the oppressor, and the exploiter who has wrapped himself in the cloak of patriotism, or religion, or both, to deceive and overawe the people. Every solitary one of these aristocratic conspirators and would-be murderers claims to be an arch-patriot. Every one of them insists that the war is being waged to make the world safe for democracy. What humbug! What rot! What false pretense! Wars throughout history have been waged for conquest and plunder. In the Middle Ages, when the feudal lords concluded to enlarge their domains, to increase their power, their prestige, and their wealth, they declared, they declared war upon one another. But they themselves did not go to war, any more than the modern feudal lords, the barons of Wall Street, go to war. The feudal barons of the Middle Ages, the economic predecessors of the capitalists of our day, declared all wars and their miserable serfs fought all the battles. The poor, ignorant serfs have been taught to revere their masters, to believe that when their masters declared war upon one another, it was their patriotic duty to fall upon one another and to cut one another's throats for the profit and glory of the lords and barons who held them in contempt. And, and what is war in a nutshell? The master class has always declared the wars. The subject class has always fought the battles. <laughs> the master class has had all to gain and nothing to lose, while the subject class has had nothing to gain and all to lose, especially their lives. They have, always, they have always taught and trained you to believe it to be your patriotic duty to go to war and to have yourselves slaughtered at their command. But in all the history of the world, you, the people, have never had a voice in declaring war. And strange as it certainly appears, no war by any nation in any age has ever been declared by the people. The working class who fight all the battles, the working class who make the supreme sacrifices, the working class who freely shed their blood and furnish their corpses, have never yet had a voice in either declaring war or making peace. 
It is the ruling class that invariably does both. They alone declare war and they alone make peace. Yours not to reason why, yours but to do and die. That is their motto. And we object on the part of the awakening workers of this nation, if war is right, let it be declared by the people. America for 300 years has been the land of promise for the rest of the world. The land of new frontiers, new opportunities. Yeah, we can't hand you to get up. Clicking sounds, sounds that reveal the presence of radioactive rays. This is Tank Riot. This is episode number 130, where we talk about Eugene V. Debs. I am Sputnik. With me, as always, is Victor. Hello. And, of course, Tor. Hi. <laughs> so, we took a Tank Riot group outing and went to see Skyfall. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, as far as the... If I was going to look at it as a trilogy... Yes. I do think Casino Royale is my favorite. Yes. So, I mean... It, that was a good introduction. Yeah, it was a great introduction. Yeah. And, I really enjoyed it. I, I was so surprised how much this one was about M, but it was a great story. That's, that's well, all right, though. Actually, I uh, we were, oh yeah, totally. We did. Um, I did a little bit more research on that. Actually, what it turns out to be Judy Dench, mm-hmm. who plays Dame M. Dame Judy, Judy Dench. Dench. Yes, well, you are, are correct. Do we have to warn about spoilers? No, no, no. Okay, no. it's just that it's it's spoilers in real life. She she has <laughs> more of a role because this will be her last role, mm-hmm. not only as M, but in acting. In general, because she's suffering from severe macular degeneration, so she's essentially going blind. Yes. Okay. Oh. So yeah, that's that's why I think wow. it kind of yeah. But I thought what was interesting that, was that's interesting because her eyes are kind of a you know unique Judy Dench feature. Yes. You, you know the way yes. her, you know that is one of her qualities, I guess. So yes. the fact she's going blind is kind of sad, I guess. Yeah, it is very sad. Yeah. So so it's kind of her acting swan song and mm. I, I think it was a good one. Yeah. Um I you know definitely think uh you know it's right up there with Wrath of Khan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anton Chigur was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. The bad you know it had all the basic elements of a very good Bond film. It had a great villain. Mm-hmm. It had lots of action. Casino-y, set-piece places. Oh, yeah. You know, exotic yeah. locales. Very exotic locales. It was, yeah. it was, the, the Bond women were very underplayed in this one, which I, I thought was interesting. I mean, yeah. But, but it had a good surprise kicker toward the end, which made me very happy. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but, but what I'm saying yeah. is, is that, you know, th- there, there are Bond girls, but they're really only there very, very briefly. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the Bond women are, are very underplayed in this one. And, and, and there's not, there's no gadgetry. Um, they, they basically just give him his uh, Walter PPK and a radio transmitter. And it's like, here's a ticket to Shanghai. Get your ass going. Right. Well, I yeah, like yeah. that version of Q because it was very realistic. Yes, <laughs> you know? it was. Yeah. There's a thing that will maybe come in handy, but turns out not really so much. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, no, like other Bond movies, he, he finds a way to use 
those yeah, he gadgets does use the gadgets are very effective. Cr- critical to once. solving the issue. once, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Once, but you know the one thing that somebody funny. at work who who saw the movie uh, is, and and I don't think this is a spoiler, but the only difference with his Walther PPK from any other James Bond's Walther PPK is that uh, the handle was set to him, right? So only he could fire it. Right. And he runs out of ammo and he just tosses it. Right. And it's like, really? I mean, obviously no one else can fire it, but still. I think he did that just to disc you. Know? Bring it back. And it's like, okay, you lost a transmitter. You lost the goddamn gun. Bring it back in one piece. So, and uh, one of the great Bond classics makes uh, a return in this movie, too. And it also is a swan song is the Aston Martin DB5 mm-hmm. from uh, Goldfinger. Which uh, there was a, a round yeah. of applause, including yes. myself, when when that car made a debut. I was expecting yeah. a Ford Fiesta. <laughs> and it's, yeah, da, na, na, na. <laughs> but it was yeah, it was really awesome. It was good. It was really I I oh, liked it a lot. The ejector seat reference that was key. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And but the thing the thing that struck me about it was from referencing our our own James Bond episode was that uh, Ian Fleming really did not want. Uh, Sean Connery to be James Bond and was really pissed off about it and was bitching to the to studios about it and they basically said well you did sign over the rights so hard cheese yeah. thank you for your time but he turned out to like Sean Connery so much that he actually back wrote his story to make him Scottish which plays very heavily in this movie so I thought that was all oh, kind of nice and wow yeah, yeah kind of that's cool trivia. Yeah, really played in there, and and uh, like I say, you know, um, Javier Bardem was was just uh, fantastic as the villain. He he just yeah chews up the scenery and whatever he's. He in. is just a creepy son of a bitch. He's a creepy guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't. That guy could not play like lighthearted comedy if you held a gun to his head. Well, I guess he did for Woody Allen, but I'm not sure how that went. I didn't see the film. <sighs> I have not been able to bring myself <laughs> yeah. to see a Woody Allen movie for some time yeah, now, maybe. and it's not that I have some big Midwestern moral mm-hmm. outrage that he married his stepdaughter or anything. It's just that. I don't know. Woody Allen is like one of those those periods of your life where you kind of enjoy. It's like we were talking about Mad Magazine. Mm-hmm. Everyone always says, "When I read Mad, it was cool. Now it's crap." <laughs> you know, and and yeah, I liked you know, take the money and run and sleeper and all yeah. those movies. But now it's like, ah. Well, the Viking Princess and I rewatched Sleeper recently, and that was quite fun. So, awesome I mean, movie. Yeah, it's a great, great time travel film. The Diane, <laughs> yeah, and I love the Volkswagen reference. Yeah, right. they built these babies to last. Them to last. <laughs> You're lucky if you get up the next morning, you can turn the key and it starts. Were, I had one of those. There were a few plot twists in that film that kind of got me. That were like really? Skyfall. You mean? Yeah, in Skyfall, where I was like, really? You're the head of intelligence of the English Secret Service, and you're doing that? Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a setup because it was so bad, but yeah. I don't want to give anything away. No, but no. It's, but I mean, if you still like. a great film. If you like Bond films, this is definitely one for the archive. So yeah. mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think that anyone would, uh, you know. Give it a thumbs down. And frankly, I've been reading very good reviews about it. So mm-hmm. I think we're all on now to the, you know, uh, Oscar season, all the, you know, ooh, uh, like Anna Karenina with, you know, once again, what's her name in, in another period dress piece. Yeah. Um, having read Anna Karenina, I don't know that I will watch any kind of movie about moral absolutism and didactic uh Paternalistic. I went through a Tolstoy period. Tolstoy. <laughs> I went through a Russian period in high school. Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, yeah. and um, uh, Solzhenitsyn. Yeah. 
You make know? a make a great American adaptation of Master and Margarita, and I'm there. Right. Make another adaptation of Tolstoy, and I will pretty much avoid it because that is the worst type of period piece because it's got period ethos on top of period clothing. I'd rather you know. I'd rather be entertained than than sit through someone's. Uh, belief system, oh. you know, held before me. Tolstoy just does not travel well. No, it doesn't <laughs> you know, age well either. No, <laughs> it's like a fine twenty-year-old milk. <laughs> That's a good one. So, yeah, you're right. It just, it's just like, oh, yeah. I don't know if I want to touch that one. But man, that guy can write about trees and clouds like nobody's business. So, <gasps> or make some weird reference to a yeah. family outside of Kiev and then never talk about them again for eight hundred right. more pages. And I don't want to get any. I don't want to get any fan letters saying you don't understand. No, I do understand. He's a wonderful, wonderful <laughs> yes, writer. Yes, we know this. Yeah, but I just don't like what he's writing about. But would you read it again? <laughs> no, you <laughs> would. No, no. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go back to you know Nabokov and like even Dostoevsky. I'll go back to yeah 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 i mean where's my demons huh where's where's some of those stories (laughs) i want to see some of those uh oh yeah i mean dostoevsky's you you mean that's the thing is that you you start with tolstoy but then when you go to like dostoevsky and you read like notes from underground Mm -hmm. and stuff like that it just blows it so far out of the water right right right. i mean i'd love to see some good there's some great in the book of um things that could be made like the defense i'd love to see oh my god film adaptation of that or uh the double Anyway, we're boring tour here. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I have no, all not the... read all these books that are being mentioned, but anyway. <laughs> all the Oscar movies are coming out now, and uh, I think it's funny that um, Brad Pitt is in this new movie, and, and the reviews of that movie are just like so awful, killing them softly. Um, I guess it's like so bad, and then right on the heels of that awful Chanel Number no. 5 commercial, I don't know if you guys have seen this one or yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um. I, I like, hope they paid you a whole lot of money, dude. That's all I got to say. Or you were kind of liquored up when I'd you like did that. I'd like to see Seven Psychopaths. That's the film that I'm curious about. Um, okay. I'd like to see. But, you know, also Anthony Hopkins was in the media recently talking about how the Oscars are a bunch of crap. And Good for him. I'm not, you know, I'm here to be an actor, not to kiss the Academy's ass. <laughs> it was really a great diss on sure. the whole nice. Academy voting system and how it's just a kind of a sham. I would be interested yeah. in seeing him as Hitchcock in that movie about the making of Psycho, even though it has Scarlett uh-huh. Johansson as um yeah that, that looked interesting i think yeah, so too but... because i we had just watched a movie mrs sputnik and i watched the, the girl mm-hmm. which is about hitchcock doing the birds which immediately followed psycho and uh you find out a whole lot of things about alfred hitchcock that are really pretty uncomfortable <laughs> yeah, well, he was a bit of a dick yeah bit of a dick, bit of a dick. <laughs> seemed to like those naughty limericks yeah <laughs> Well, who doesn't, well, really? He, he controlled and ruined some people's careers, which is... Yeah. It takes him up a little bit on the douchebag level. Yeah. But as an auteur, there's some things that were just oh. fantastic that came out of it. It's it's so hard when your heroes yeah. are dicks. Like Jerry Lewis. <laughs> yeah. Artur dick. <laughs> Artur dick. <laughs> I mean, who can take away Cinderella? I mean, you can. No. It's done. It's done. Yeah, we're, t- we're not talking can. about it. I'm not talking about it. French New Wave, Cinderella. <laughs> you know, I also saw very recently, uh, and I, I sometimes don't love these guys, but the South Park 45-minute uh, TV thing, uh, Six Days to Air, which mm-hmm. is a behind-the-scenes look at how yes. South, South Park is made. And I enjoyed it. And that it was, was a fascinating. nice look. You know, gave you a good look at Trey Parker and Matt Stone, how they operate and how their whole system works. 
The thing that I loved most about it was the story about them both dressing up in the garish dresses. And dropping acid. And dropping sugar cube acid on the way to the red carpet. So they were just tripping on acid the whole time during the Academy Awards and trying to not mention the dresses to anybody. And then once they got in, realizing they had to sit through the entire Academy Awards on acid. In drag and in acid. Drag. Well, and you think they were start, it was starting to hit as they were getting out of the limo yeah. and he'd say i didn't want to get out of the limo and one of the guys was saying yeah that was the worst part because you, when you change spaces when you move from an interior to an exterior oh. to an interior yeah the space is hard to handle on acid and then he was saying <laughs> i've always found that devastating myself quite honestly some people were saying um you've ruined my big night you know you're, you're just making fun a mockery of my big night and he's like this is yeah. your big night it's yeah. a joke yeah you know? fuck you yeah. <laughs> And I just thought, wow, that's really cool that you guys got to attend the Oscars like that. Yeah, no kidding. Never again, I'm sure. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, because <laughs> they, they probably knew there's like going to be no circumstance we're ever going to be invited to the Academy Awards mm-hmm. again. So you might as well make the most it of it. It takes some brass ones to decide. Oh, we got invited to the Oscars. I tell you what. Business trip. Dress and drag. <laughs> drop acid. That makes perfect sense. I mean, <laughs> very few people. I I doubt very much that people <laughs> were thinking that kind of thing. You know, Anthony Hopkins. Maybe I should wear a drag and drop some acid. Not that he wouldn't. <laughs> I think Anthony could probably be quite the party maybe animal. Could, maybe you. I picked the wrong person. <laughs> I think if you gave him half ass chance, he'd probably do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> that was too cool in, the, in that documentary too. And they were talking about the making of the human sent to iPad episode. Mm-hmm. I believe in you guys. <laughs> it was just funny to see him do all the voices and everything. Yep. It's always hmm. different when you see, like, uh, I remember one time there was a news story. It was like an extended fluff piece on um, all these voice actors had a convention, and there were people that were like really, you know, like gods. Billy West. I mean. When you watch Billy West do all the voices that he does on Futurama, it's just amazing. Oh, it really is. It mm-hmm. really is. But I was thinking more of like some of the older school ones, oh. like, um, you know, the guy who did uh, the Grinch song and also was Tony the Tiger. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just oh. like, you know, the, the crowd parts when these people walk in. And then <laughs> it was this tiny little woman who did the voice of Rocky, Rocky the Squirrel on Bullwinkle. And I just, I almost oh. shit. When, I mean, she was just talking, you know, very normally. I mean, yeah. she's this tiny little woman. And then I was, she said, hokey smoke, Bullwinkle. I about pissed myself. I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I've tried to rewatch those. They are on Netflix. Bullwinkle, Rocky and Bullwinkle? Yeah. Those are, those are bizarre. They're a little bit hard to sit through it in the modern age. They, they, they were a little bit hard for me to sit through as a kid but it was like the only thing on yeah well i like sherman and peabody a lot yes it was just you had to wait get through the other stuff till you got a sherman and peabody (laughs) you know i do love how the internet archive has created a way to go back in time the way back machine and it's called the way back machine i know that's classic like i found this where i've wanted to go to a website and find something and i found it's defunct and i had to go back to 2005 in order to find a file yeah. And I used the Wayback Machine to do it, and it worked perfectly. It's just Internet Archive yeah. is a fantastic resource. Mm-hmm. But I love that it's named after Sherman <laughs> Peabody's Wayback oh, yeah. Machine. <laughs> but the Fractured Fairy Tales, I love that whole thing. It was good. Yeah. It really was good. I mean, it, it just, I yeah. don't know, it's hard to watch. It's hard to rewatch because I tried to introduce my daughters to it, and it's like, eh, it doesn't really hold up. No, it kind of, <laughs> well, it's the animation was, it's not, I mean, kids are used to a really good level, like, you know, like yeah. manga kind of 
and you know Japanese Japanimation yeah. or or uh, Studio Ghibli, right? And, and then you show them the shit that's yeah. just kind of you know like makes South Park look like well, really de- you know, and a lot the language of is all it. stilted like a 1950s commercial like, and they purposely yeah. were doing that. And oh it just, sure, it just fit really strangely. You know what's actually interesting to me is when you you can actually find documentaries that are just essentially tape loops of all the commercials that played in between your favorite cartoon shows, and you see all these toys and oh, crap yeah whoa that can take you back like yeah. a hammer yeah Th- there are some you know older like tv shows that i've watched actually it was the um the star wars uh holiday special <laughs> oh uh, god w- w- i are going to somehow work that in it's not the it's christmas that time episode of year, yet, people <laughs> yeah. it's not the christmas no but episode. whatever wherever <laughs> i found the copy of that it came with the the commercials from the the time it aired. Oh, wow. so it had you know they were right in there. What do you and, get a Wookiee? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he already has a comb. <laughs> yeah. Well, the one the one that I found the most fascinating was you know because I, I grew up during the space race and everything, so there was a lot of space type of toys. Mm-hmm. And there was one that I actually had, and I think about it now, and it's like so stupid. It was called Johnny Astro. Mm-hmm. Um and okay, this is all it was. It, it was a big fan that had a handle that held like five or six D cell batteries. I mean, this thing was just a huge pig. And then uh-huh. you blew up your spaceship, which was just a balloon that said USA on it. And then you taped like little plastic lander legs to it. And then you had like little plastic dioramas of the moon and Mars and shit. And then you just kind of blew the balloon to land on it. <laughs> cool. I know. I know. Right. <laughs> I mean, you kids have the toys now that are like so sophisticated and you'd be like, really a balloon and a fan. Yeah, yeah. Well, it would keep you cool on a hot summer day. <laughs> it is just so funny when you think about those things. I mean, because you saw those commercials in Infinite Loop yeah. all the time, and mm-hmm. and you just forgot about them. But then you see them. You're like, oh God, I remember that. And you know, and then like it would they would sell you like glow paint and stuff like that. It was probably toxic as hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, the kids will love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stop eating the silly putty. I remember one time when I was a kid, I decided to. This is a memory lane thing. Okay. I decided to get in a cardboard box, and I'd gotten an Armatron, mm-hmm. which is this little arm thing that you could control. <laughs> I remember Armatron. And I pretended it was my space arm that I could control in space, and the box was my spaceship. And I had a <laughs> Major Tom <laughs> playing. Oh, background. my God. And I was in my box <laughs> controlling my space arm, moving little space things from one side to the other. It was really pointless. But yeah. but I felt like I was in space. Cool. Very cool. Mission accomplished. Yeah, that's right. It's all you need. <laughs> and the spaceship started talking, knew which way to go and all that. Well, speaking of being a kid, I, you know, this is worth a, a Google, but I, th- I thought I heard a reference recently that a, a lot of the old pencils were painted with lead paint. Yeah, and of course, every kid sticks the pencil in their oh, mouth. You chew oh, them all sure. up. you yeah. chew them to piss. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Until you get your first wow. filling, then you you stop doing that crap, right? Just away. yeah, just think where society would be now if we didn't have lead painted pencils. <laughs> <laughs> just like Freakonomics, Roe v. Wade actually <laughs> dropped the crime rate. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, uh, I was I was going to mention something else too. There hasn't there has oh yeah the the movie campaign. It actually took me a while because, you know, like the campaign was just like too much constantly. So I waited a couple weeks after <laughs> the campaign and then watched the Will Ferrell 
uh, Zach Galifianakis movie, and I thought it was just great because it was really a complete indictment of the Koch brothers (laughs) and their influence on politics. I haven't seen it. It is a fun movie. Yeah, it really is. I look for it, but I'd have to order it on DVD or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Through Netflix? Yeah, through Netflix. You'd have to get it on DVD, on disc. You (laughs) couldn't stream it because you can't stream that. Of whatever goddamn reason, you I, can't I happened. It. I was at the public library, so I thought, well, I'll just see if campaigns you the know, library on the shelf. Yeah, and uh, uh, and it was then. There's like fifty people, you know, list on hold, mm-hmm. you know, for the free one you can rent out. But then I remember, did this library have rentals? So I asked them, do you have rentals? And and they said, uh, oh yeah, we keep it here back you know behind where no one can see it don't use that tone with me yeah <laughs> so she rolled out the rentals and there it was right on top so i'm like oh wow perfect nice. i'll get that i had to pay three bucks but i didn't have to wait 50 people to, you know for 50 people to watch it first mm-hmm. i think it was like uh, yeah. dan Aykroyd and um jo- jonathan litgow john litgow that's right who played the mox brothers uh, m-o-c-h wasn't it i think or mox mokes i i I thought it was Moke. like Mooch. Something or, like that. Yeah. yeah, but I mean it was like a total takeoff on, on yeah. Coke, yeah. Yeah. There there I have I mean I just have to mention one thing. It was it was really funny is that we we're going to take this factory and we're going to build it in Texas and we're going to staff it with only Chinese people. We call it insourcing. We really got a lot of good buzz from the focus groups. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, they're going to do this now. I know they're going to do this." Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've already done that in some places. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a there's a whole city. I think it's in Iowa. Right. But yeah, yeah. So this isn't oh, an unknown thing. <laughs> wouldn't it Wouldn't it be yeah. awful if like you're from some <clears throat> Asian culture or whatever, and, and they pluck you down in the middle of the Midwest and just say, "Okay, deal with it." <laughs> I mean, my God. <laughs> It's like you would have none of the no foods you recognize, no nothing you would recognize. Oh, that would just be bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it would well, be like me. It, get, it would be like me getting a job in the you know Ginza in, to, in Tokyo. You know, I just I wouldn't know what to do first. First of all, the toilets would be completely confusing to me. That's always the hardest. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> is yeah. this the one I drink from? <laughs> is this the B day? It's like a drinking fountain <laughs> over here by this one. <laughs> I you know I have so many. People that I know my age who all they talk about now is getting a Japanese toilet because they love the warm seat and all the features that come with it. I mean, I swear to God, it's like people used to talk about getting a car, Mm -hmm. you know, with all the features. And now it's getting a Japanese toilet. Funny. Really? It's like, is is it that much of your day? Because yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking no. Yeah. I just want it all to go down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. Really? I think we've all been there. We're just like, oh, it's making that sound. <laughs> oh, no! Oh, yeah. <laughs> alert! Alert! <laughs> Shut off the water! Shut off the water! <laughs> Get the coat hanger. <laughs> My friend told me about how his dad accidentally wired one to the hot water. Oh yeah, it was hot shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'd have to say the news has been unbelievably slow, just because, um, you know, I mean, I think they jumped on the Petraeus thing just simply because it was post-election and they just needed to talk about something. But 
Yeah, yeah, no, I, there's the Black Friday, there's that whole Thanksgiving turkey eating stuff, and Walmart, oh, labor yeah. dispute with Walmart, strikes, which disputes. I thought was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like really, so I can spend the day with my family. I'm all relaxed. Where you know the dishes are all washed, and then I got to go into work. Yeah, fuck you, mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't shop at Walmart anyways, and that's fine. But you know, I can't really feel all moral about it because yeah, I go to Target. I mean, that's the other big box. <laughs> So we, well, what was the John Stewart thing yeah. saying about the slogan for Walmart? Like a worse Target. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can find shit in Walmart you won't see anywhere nah. else. Oh yeah. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. About I haven't that. been in a Walmart in years. No, it's no, just... no. It's hard because when you make it's a personal choice because it does cost you more. But you know, I, I do try to like go to my local hardware store. You know, and there's a couple of them nearby, but I try to go to my local hardware store and I try to go to my local grocery store. And I know that Woodman's is a... You know, getting bigger and bigger, but it's like right. regional and it's employee. It's regional and it is employee shares, owned. So, you know, yeah. So. Ay, caramba. What a savings. We'll try. We'll try. <laughs> <laughs> oh, plus, their liquor store is legendary. It is. You know, <laughs> I mean, I've tried, th- there's a couple things and I've seen it there, but then it disappears right away and that always pisses me off. Uh, there's this type of Vietnamese beer I really love. I think, ah, I'm trying Ding to. Dao. No, 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 no. It's, uh, that's Chinese. <laughs> oh. From a German brewery that they captured. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> But it, it was like number 33. It's, it's not Rolling Rock, but it's, oh. it's this type of beer that they make in Vietnam. It's just fantastic. Mm. You can get it at like Vien Tien Palace or something. I know we've order. talked about this before. I probably yeah, it's, it. it's really good. And uh, of course, what I'm always looking for, and this is, this is my dream, and I, I know that they still make it, Champagne. It's, We've talked about it, and I've talked about making a recipe. I found the <sighs> recipe online, and I know how to make the recipe. Carbonated malt liquor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so cool. Yeah. I remember that. That was like one of the first um, alcoholic beverages I really enjoyed was uh, champagne, both uh, regular and pink. Yeah, I don't think we found it. <laughs> I mean, you could get just hosed to the bejesus out there. <laughs> I think the reason for that, I mean, Sounds not like only, a headache. There's, there's, a high, <laughs> there's a high sugar content in champagne, and there's a low hop. There's not a lot of hop in no, it. No. But it's a high sugar content. And then instead of using regular ale yeast, you're using champagne yeast. Oh. And what the problem, or, or the, what the... What the solution is with the champagne yeast <laughs> is they can handle the higher pressures created from the champagne. So, so when when pale ale yeast digests the sugars and create the alcohols, and the alcohol level and the pressure gets high enough, they yeah. die off. Oh, okay. but with the champagne yeast, they just keep cranking away until the pressure gets really high and the alcohol level gets really high. Then they die off and the, then they sediment. So they, they go down to the bottom, and then you're left with a really strong, potent ale. Which is bubbly. Right. Whereas if you would have just used regular pale ale yeast or lager yeast, uh, and lager yeast work at lower temperatures, the ale yeast or lager yeast will um, leave your beer more sugary. So you'll have oh, a sugary okay. beer, whereas the champagne yeast will take all that sugar and just keep eating it until it gets wow. really alcoholic and phenolic, and then... All of a sudden, then they'll go to sleep and settle to the bottom. <laughs> Just drops. <laughs> so that's why Uh-oh. champagne yeast makes such great high-octane um, beers or champagnes. Oh, that would be awesome. It's the powerful yeast. Oh, fuel. God. Champagne yeah. moonshine. That would be so cool. <laughs> I would love that. Well, you know, for our Christmas episode, our Sacred Baby Festival episode, we should definitely have Nog. Oh, for sure. You know, a lot of Nog, though. Some Pennsylvania Dutch. Pennsylvania Dutch. <laughs> 
<laughs> all that stuff is just a hard ride. And that redneck nog. You start you start drinking it and you realize, oh God, what is in here? What have I done? Stuff that not even Kid Rock would drink. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed wonderful the last time I had it. It is good. But... I mean, you know. But like David Tell says, you know, it's it's leprechaun cum. <laughs> you, you, you yeah. might as well just be pouring it down your back and slapping your ass. <laughs> yeah, it did seem quite irresponsible (laughs) oh i did want to mention to you guys uh there's a really interesting series on showtime and it's called the untold history of the united states and it's done by oliver stone who i have a a very oh no i have a very love hate relationship with oliver stone i'm scared i know i mean because he can produce really good stuff or just total shit yeah he can and anyways but this is a series that is very, very well done. It, and it goes through American history. And in the background, you have these large events like, you know, World War One, the Depression, World War Two, dropping an atomic bomb and so on. But they focus in on these other stories that are less known, which gives you a totally different perspective um, hmm. on mm-hmm. those events. And it's very well researched and very well done. Uh, they did one on uh, Henry Wallace, FDR's running mate for three of his terms. Right. And was supposed to be for his fourth. Um, but, you know, people realized he was in really failing health. And then they, they ended up with Truman, you know, with a total schwanz. Mm. So, and Henry Wallace was one of these guys. He, he made the speech. Uh, the common man speech, it's called. And you look this up online because you read it and it's just this beautiful piece of oratory. I mean, it's it's, it's just so totally prairie populist, New Deal type of philosophy. And, and you try to think of anybody saying anything even vaguely like this today and not being labeled a complete and utter <laughs> Marxist, you right. know. But it's really beautiful mm-hmm. stuff, so... I'm just saying it's it's a good series. Untold history of the U.S. After the JFK thing, I'm I'm a little worried about him. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I mean, he, I know history, and, and, and you just wonder, yeah. oh, this is history, and then he just threw I don't know. <laughs> or Anthony maybe, maybe Hopkins not. is Nixon. I think we all remember yeah, that debacle. He just worries me a little bit. Yeah, he does yeah. me too. I mean, he's he's one of these guys that is so unbelievably uneven. I mean, we talked about that in the Stanley Kubrick podcast where he could be. Very uneven. Like, you know, this movie's a classic. This movie, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then, but Oliver Stone can go through one of those oh, really phases for like several movies. Right, right. And you think, did you live through the same events that I did? Because I don't remember any of this and I'm not sure what the hell you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Well, hey, uh, uh, but t- speaking of calling everybody a Marxist. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess there's some stuff going down on the FCC regulations where uh, Rupert Murdoch wants to buy a couple of newspapers. Right. Only a couple? Uh, yeah. Well, for starters. But in markets <laughs> where he already has TV stations, which is currently against the FCC rules. Yes. And the FCC chairman, it's looking like they might let murdoch do this uh so sure really anyway. they'll be moving into new offices <laughs> why regulate <laughs> pay for by yeah so you know you regulate schmegulate i guess this apparently is one of those situations where you might want to uh you know kind of let your opinion known oh and, absolutely uh, that's uh, that's goddamn ridiculous it's it's like when the, yeah. the clear channel bullshit you right. know, so like, what is it, four out of the five major radio stations in the madison area are clear channel clear, yeah yeah if you know, so you know, we we need a diversity of media, not not, oh. not one 
you know, big brother voice telling us what to do. I don't want to live in that post nine eleven bullshit where they played the the Star Spangled Banner every hour on the hour. I mean, really? Yeah, I couldn't. I could not stand that. I mean, it, local radio is shit around here, anyways. But then having to listen to that every hour. I mean, pretty soon I'm going to start yeah. listening to people in a bunker, just three anonymous guys talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Shit into the news. Oh, that's where I get my news. Goddamn it! Yeah, <laughs> I'm not uh. going to turn on real. No network uh. news. <laughs> Tank riot. The news team you love to trust. <laughs> it's nothing better than being bitter. <laughs> in a hole deep Everything. under the ground yeah <laughs> that's right deep deep in our our secret studios <laughs> yes far from the maddening cry or perhaps in the middle of it we don't know <laughs> yeah you know it is truly tropical madison wisconsin it's gonna be like in the 50s this weekend it's beautiful i was beautiful yeah. Viking weather it really it's been very very nice mm-hmm. yep um I, you know, it's 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 frankly freakish because this time of year you've usually got like a couple inches on the ground or. <laughs> yep. And did you hear? Uh, I believe <sighs> what is his name? Lamar Smith, the congressman who's now in charge of the uh, science, space, and technology <laughs> right. group of the House. Climate change deniest. Oh, lovely mm-hmm. denier. So. <sighs> Ah, uh, House of Representatives, how you make us smile. <laughs> Your ironic choices. Yeah. Just watch campaign. I mean, that pretty much... It sh- does hit yeah. it all. Oh. oh, my God. It's 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 so... I mean, these two candidates, they, they get... It's like more and more caveman and more just testosterone trying to get each other. You know, as the movie goes along, and it's just Can like... Can you imagine? I heard that it was yeah. going to be the first meeting between... Um, President Barack Obama and um, um, Mittens? Um, Mitt Romney? Is that how you say his name? <laughs> yeah. God, his name. I mean, they have a lunch. They, yeah. have, they have a lunch. Yeah, they're going to have a lunch. And uh, uh-huh. can you imagine how uncomfortable that one's going to be? Uh-huh. That's going to be pretty I'd just, uncomfortable. I'd reach over the table and give him a tit twister. <laughs> say, hey, sucks to be you, doesn't hey, it? How's it feel to be a yeah. loser in history? Yeah. 40 million of your wow. own money? Dick. That is crazy. I can't mm-hmm. believe they're actually having that happen. Like, why would you even do that? It seems pointless. It seems yeah. it seems kind of junior high. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's like, no, shake hands. <laughs> like, you know, really? I'd be I, like, no thanks, I'm president. Or no thanks, yeah. I lost. You may kiss my ring. Either way, I'd be like, no <laughs> thanks, I don't want to yeah, have I'm, a special meeting. I've been done battling you or beating you or whatever. They're serving Taco Bell. Oh. <laughs> What's that one they have now like, as an extra large steak chalupa? You want a White House beer? <laughs> No, I don't drink coffee. No. <laughs> he doesn't even drink coffee. No, no, Mormons don't drink coffee. Real ones, not caffeinated coffee anyway, right? Right. Oh Jesus! <laughs> well, so Obama should just chew him out. You know, dude, stop watching Fox News. Yeah, you know, it's time to you know read some real books and actually learn something. Well, dudes, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's yeah. been a bit of a shift. Like even Pat Robertson has come out just today and said that we they have to start not they have to stop ignoring the fossil record and believe that the Earth is more than six thousand <laughs> right. years old. Wow, <laughs> just I, knock that shit off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm serious. That's Pat Robertson, and wow. they're saying otherwise we're going to lose our children. Because the kids aren't going to believe their wacky bullshit laughing at you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, if you're telling me that the fossils are fake, what else other bullshit are you telling me? Exactly. You You open yourself wide open. It's just showing that they're starting to widen it out to try to meet the net of science where science is like, you know, corroborating. And he even mentioned uh, carbon dating. It was really a fascinating look 
at the tack that the right wing <laughs> religious right is going to start to go because well, they're going to start having to accept science in some capacities mm-hmm, because they're yeah. battling these. You know, you can't battle six thousand years old and be a reasonable yeah, well, human well, being. Tack, no, you're tack fucking is a wrong. Good no. term. Well, what's the thing in in sailboating when the you know the main mast just swings from one side to the other? That's with well, the boom swing. Boom swing. Yeah. yeah. No, that would be Pat well, Rob, Robinson. Uh, Robertson. He can when you he, change your tack. You're going to knock a few people over on the boat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If they're standing up where the boom is. Pat Robertson, he can say something that makes sense, and then and then the boom will swing, and then he'll be like, woohoo, off the crazy end, you know? Can't it's, there be yeah. room for science and our charming belief system? Yeah. <laughs> Scientology, that's a made-up religion. <laughs> Not like ours. ours. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's you know it's fine, and I know, and I know this is a time of year where you're <laughs> going to hear these stories about. All I want to do is put out a goddamn nativity scene. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh God, stop this! You know we're going to go. Yeah, it again. I, you know, I think there's a place for Christianity, and, and I think some the way some people practice it, it, it is probably very beneficial to them, and and they they help others, sure. and they're good people. But really, if you think about it, it's not. Christianity isn't about, you know, forcing your ideas down someone else's throat by no. by throwing up fiberglass statues of what you think you much know, like a penis Joseph Christianity and Mary should not be forced down <laughs> other people's <laughs> yeah, throats. I mean, there's dicks, exactly. there's assholes, <laughs> and there's yeah. pussies. Pussies just want everyone to get along. <laughs> No, I know what you. I know what you're yeah, saying. Totally, totally, I mean, I, I totally yeah, get it. Like, I mean, really, is this your religion? I mean, think of it. You know, can't you just? There are some people that em- yeah. em- embrace belief systems, and are they're just basically good people. Like, for yeah. instance, uh, Fred Rogers. You know, was right. was uh, a minister mm-hmm. and 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 devout. Yeah, but man, he walked the walk and he talked the talk. I mean, I get yeah. I get a Christian like that. And yeah. he wasn't pushing to have nativity no. sings in the, in the no. city courtyard. He could have gave a or shit. He, he didn't want the Ten Commandments in front of the courthouse mm. and stuff like that. You know, he, he he wanted everybody to be good to each other. Yeah, That's he it. taught people to share, be a good neighbor, and yeah. be nice. Yeah, and be a good neighbor, and you know, actual things that matter. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's true of any faith. I mean, you, you, there are people who can embrace it and, 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 uh, really embrace all the, the very positive aspects. And there's other people that just use it as control and torture and killing. And, you know, that's my way, my way. Got to do it my way. Says right here. I don't know if you read this codicil. (laughs) Yeah. God says, how do you know God says that? Well, he, uh, dream, Bible, vision, something. But, but guys, I know, yeah, you know. It, it's really fascinating because even Bill O'Reilly was on uh, the other day talking about how uh, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a philosophy. Right. So so there's this soft peddling now. Yes. And, and you know what? If it's a philosophy, then tax the living fuck out of them because there you go. you're no longer a religion, you're a philosophy. That's the part that always gets me <laughs> is a tax exemption. Why, why, why? Well, the, I'm not a member anymore of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, but at one point I was. I just honestly needed to give money to other causes. But uh, Oh, no, that's understandable. I like the idea of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, so I, I, I encourage people to look into it. The idea is that uh, they've been waiting around these tax issues during this election cycle, and they haven't been enforcing. A lot of religious organizations have been contributing 
to campaigns mm-hmm. and they shouldn't be allowed to be doing that. And right. so there's a big battle heading toward the Supreme Court. I'm not sure if it's going to make it, but it's, I don't know. It's interesting. What scares me about anything here. going to the Supreme Court is just like, <laughs> oh, yeah. but, but you know, the beauty of it is, is that just when you think they're going to just totally turn dick on you, then one of them will just turn around and say, yeah, you know, I don't think so. Lifetime mm-hmm. appointment. Blow me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, that can go both ways. That too. can go both ways. Exactly right. It's like, no. I mean, like Scalia, if yeah. until his dying day, is going to be saying, no, no. Let's I'm... see. <laughs> Which is the most evil choice? Yes, I want that one. <laughs> I will write a dissertation now on why I will support this evil. Which is funny because sometimes yeah. they seem like they're libertarian and sometimes they're not. They're completely anti-libertarian. Yeah. But then they say they're kind of libertarian. It's very hard to read where where he They have their good days and they have their bad days. (laughs) I didn't get to watch my stories today, so I say no. (laughs) I am so angry. You can't see it, but I am stamping my little feet under my robe. It's time for Judge Wapner. It's time for Judge (laughs) Wapner. Wapner. He watches every goddamn one of those Judge shows. When I was a kid, I loved Wapner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wapner, that was the ultimate judge. And Rusty the Bailiff. Oh, yeah. Da-da-dun. Dun. The plaintiff said the defendant painted a tar penis on his barn and refused to clean it Oh, what do you think? He seemed like his next job would have been like pro wrestling. I know. So you remember that that greasy little guy that would always come out and he'd say, yeah. "Whoa, oh, what do you think, there, Hulk? Whoa, let me tell you something." <laughs> yeah, mean Gene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, because he always had that same like sleepy eyed look, like he was still hanging from the last night. And he's like, yeah. "Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. and he just kind of kind of oh, yeah. vaguely hold the mic in their direction. <laughs> oh man, Wapner, twenty minutes to Wapner. Anyways, gentlemen, shall we talk about Mr. Eugene Victor Debs, or Genie, as he was called? Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. I have to confess, Eugene Debs has always been kind of kind of a personal hero of mine. I I, I like his oratory. Um, I like his you know general stance on things. And I think what's interesting about Debs is that, especially in the wake of of the election, exactly. Um, when you look at the left and the right in this country and, and look at what it was, and I don't think that this is unique to America in any way, shape or form, but with the right, you have a fairly easy job. I mean, you're just maintaining the status quo. Now, whether you do that in a more central fashion or you do it in a more fascistic fashion, it's all the right. And they, they managed to be able to pull together under one camp. Pretty easily. So even though there's major rifts in in the conservative party, I mean, we probably saw some of the bigger ones uh, with this in this election with the Tea Party being, you know, very conservative and let's be honest, kind of loony, you know, trying to be absorbed into the, you know, mainstream Republican Party and so forth. But with the left, you have... You you have factionalism... That's almost impossible to repair. Number one, because you have very different points of view on what is left, what is progressive, what is... The left almost inherently, by definition, fractions. Yes, yes. And the different... I mean, they just... 
Now, some of, some of them yeah. are, are like the differences are so minuscule. You know, it's kind of like the life of Brian. <laughs> we're not the people's Judean front. We're the people's <laughs> front of Judea. Judea. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and that's why I think Debs is very interesting because in many ways, when I, when I look at the labor movement in this country in the late 1800s and early 20th century, there were some absolute giants in it and, you know, people that just by their own personal, you know, charisma, willpower, oratory, organizational skills, whatever, were able to really change the whole working landscape. And I mean, and and these were grassroots movements. And so, so to me, they're, they're, good examples of what to see when it did work in this country as opposed to, you know, a lot of the frustrations we've had certainly in Wisconsin with the failed recall vote mm. and uh, with the, for me anyways, very anticlimactic election. Right. The thing of it is, is that even in the story of Eugene Debs and in his time, the factionalism was huge and, and they were just constantly yeah. splintering. And he, You know, in a way, it was kind of the Ralph Nader of his day. He was even better than Ralph Nader. But one of the things that's kind of interesting is we can't get past the rhetoric because I think it's the rhetoric of today's campaigns and today's elections that are calling someone like Barack Obama a socialist. Right. Now, over and over, a socialist, he's a socialist, he's a socialist. Yeah. Right. And that rhetoric— and, and I'm sorry, that that's not fair to socialists. It's not fair to socialists. No, it's not And it's all. not fair to yeah. Barack Obama because Barack Obama is a centrist Democrat— True and true. He's and a capitalist. He's a capitalist. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think calling him a socialist is the the right wing of, you know, the, the de- democracy as it, right. we know it in America, it, pulling to one direction by calling the centrist it, a socialist. It, it, right. It, it's of the same intellectual caliber of just calling him, you know, poopy face mm-hmm. or, right. or um, cooties. <laughs> yeah. Or, <laughs> you know stupid man or something <laughs> you know i mean it's just it's just no, you're right. it's just playground name calling it it doesn't have any factual basis on what Barack Obama really is but i think what's interesting is that the, those words there are so many words that can be used to smear someone now that are left oriented mm-hmm. uh and you don't you don't yeah. have a whole lot for the right i mean you know the the right is just it's the right wing or they're conservatives or they're Republicans or the the Tea Party, which all sounds very wonderful, but you know, there's not many people saying, Well, you're kind of a Nazi. In fact, calling somebody a Nazi is is uh like they, they always say on yeah. the internet uh, that if any conversation goes on for more than five minutes, somehow Someone's Nazism is coming up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, it's game over. I mean you've been but called the a fact Nazi. the matter is the Tea Party Fits the definition of Nazi better than Barack Obama fits the definition of socialist. Exactly. I mean, I, I think exactly. what's interesting I mean, about up. the Tea Party is mm-hmm. how it how if you want to throw the Nazi word around, it's more like how the roots of fascism take hold and how fascist governments take hold. And the yeah. Nazis, yeah. In, in effect, were a fascist government, much like there's other fascist movements around the nation, or I mean, sure, around the world, and we've seen them pop up and die, you know, throughout mm-hmm. time. 
But yeah, the Tea Party is more be like killed. a fascist group. They're they're very they're very much. I mean, and again, I'm going to break my own rule. They <laughs> they are very much like brown shirts. They're like the SA. They're the they're the you know people who hit the streets and and uh, you know do all yeah. the do all the dirty work and and yeah you know you you could never you could never say that anyone in the, in that considers himself a, a, in the Tea Party is. Uh, you know, a political thinker. No. <laughs> right. no, no one's ever been accused of that. Who's yeah, running and around. little do they know, once they get their side in total and complete power, they will be killed off. <laughs> so <that laughs> even a more extreme branch, you know, the SS can In a more Klingon fashion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting with what's going on in American politics nowadays. Let's, let, we go back 100 years or so, and we find this guy, Eugene V. Debs, who mm-hmm. really is... Uh, a brick and mortar of what it means to be a socialist. I mean, the guy yes. is the roots of socialism in America, and he's a great representative of it, and he's yes. a great orator, and he's a very interesting person. So I mm-hmm. think it's good to talk about the socialist who used to be a Democrat and who he was and who he is yes. and how that relates to today. So I just think that's why it's a fun topic. Well, it's also true, I think, that just the two major American political parties have switched their alliances and you know their polar orientations how many times you know in in yeah. their existence mm-hmm. i mean in in the revolutionary times to be a republican meant you were kind of a radical and a, uh, you yeah. you were a federalist if you you know you wanted central government and that seemed just too much like the monarchy and too restrictive and everything and then of course the democrats became the party of the slave owning south and then well into the 20th century you had the dixiecrats so you could have yeah. you could have republicans that were very progressive and left leaning yeah robert lafollette exactly was a republican before he moved on to be a progressive right but or and- you you could have a democrat who is extremely right wing, like say Jimmy Burns during the Roosevelt administration? Yeah, or even sort of within the same Democrat. On, on depending on the issue, some of them were kind of left here, but then over here, it's like, oh yeah, let's keep the blacks down or something. That's right. You know, what I mean, it's like yeah. As long as we have separate drinking fountains, I think we're okay with everything else. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and we gotta admit that's a that's a big flaw of socialism even in the day because when we're looking at yeah. Deb's time, this is 1900s, right? And yeah, there was lots of segregation going on. Yeah, and and and, oh, and, yeah. and Jim Crow laws. And Deb's himself is, uh, you know, you can get quotes that are uh, you certainly would raise some eyebrows mm-hmm. uh, today. He was not perfect on the matter by any means, as far as yeah. No, so you have to go back in the wayback machine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. And you have to go back to 1900 and basically look at things from a perspective which is somewhat similar to today because you've got these industrialists who are able to do whatever they want That's right. with complete backing by the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you had these working class representatives who were trying to change right. the way the American Industrial Revolution was occurring. Right. You you weren't – you. there were virtually no labor laws. Right. And any labor laws that existed were there because they were forced by organized labor. Certainly they didn't just sit around and say, you know, I'm thinking an eight-hour workday might be a good idea. That's probably enough. I'm thinking – We couldn't get more than eight hours. No. In the Industrial Revolution – I don't know if you guys watched anything from, you know, the History Channel to me is like a pig flying. It's kind of dead to me. You don't. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> but again, you know, you don't bitch about how long or how well it flies, but when it tr- actually tries to do something. So 
they had this series called The Men Who Built America. And it's all about these robber barons from the Mm -hmm. 19th century, you know. uh, Carnegie, whoa. Carnegie, uh, Rockefeller, Vanderbilt. I missed that. Was it any good? Ending by Ford. It's it's weirdly interesting. The men you hate while they live and then (laughs) bought a bunch of shit and named it after them so you'd like them when they're dead. You you, you had to watch Uh this series in order to truly appreciate how weird it was. The only way I can contrast it is, you know, to, to compare it to something, I should say, not contrast it, but... There was a movie with Errol Flynn. I mean, you know, huge Errol Flynn movie fan. And he did this movie about uh, George Custer, which actually also starred future president Ronald Reagan, speaking of the loony right. And they were trying to do this movie. Who Ronald Reagan was a Democrat. At that time, (laughs) yes, he was. He was a New Dealer. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, so in this movie, they're, they're trying to show you the life of of Custer and actually make him kind of heroic and and kind of uh lovable and everything but the guy was such a fucking loon please mr custer <laughs> i don't want to die so so it was this really weird left-handed treatment of george custer i mean they kept showing what a horse's ass and, and lunatic the guy was what a megalomaniac but they were still trying to make him look like this great cavalry officer which you know he was none of these you know things but uh, so with the men who built america you know that they, they have you know this guy standing there in a top hat i mean he looks just like professor you know money penny or mm-hmm. penny bags i think they call him from you know monopoly the guy that oh yeah. is on all the cards yeah. and everything. i think he's like professor yeah. money penny bags or something so anyway. I, I never knew his name but it was like based on uh we weren't on our first name basis uh, <laughs> i just called him professor what, what was it what, Kind of based on how J.P. Morgan dressed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so they have this guy, and, he, and he's standing across this lake, and there's this huge factory and everything. So, you know, it's already like they're trying to say, you know, these guys yeah. really they built America. Atlas mm-hmm. shrugged. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But, but I mean, these guys were ruthless pricks oh, of yeah. the worst sort. I mean, these guys were complete and utter capitalists. We're gonna add one to our douchebag Hall of Fame tonight. <laughs> I guarantee you. <laughs> Anyways, when you watch this show, it's it's strangely intriguing because they, they do show a lot of the warts and all, too. Mm-hmm. But then they have these very kind of handsome actors portraying them and everything. Like, you know, Henry Ford looks like this G-shuck so kind of guy until it's sort of this, you know, wild-eyed son of a bitch who is just worrying about Jews all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Carnegie and, and Morgan are just like, yeah, well, I'm just, I'm just a businessman and that's all I really want to do. And it's like, no, it's not really what you want to do. And until they finally get to Roosevelt, you know, and and you know he tried to bust up all those trusts so so here was a period of time post civil war where there was this huge economic boom the industrial mm-hmm. revolution was really taking hold we had all mm-hmm. these resources both human and natural and no rules and, and no rules and yeah. so so you had these people just dominating the landscape and wild no, wild west really exactly. yeah so i mean you know healthcare what is that? Right. Uh, we'll we'll make sure that we dig the hole six feet deep after you get killed on the job. You know, your family's not taking care of nothing. It was so, Dr. Baker in Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> <laughs> nice reference. So let's her. add one of the biggest douchebags to the Hall of Fame. Go. George Pullman. Yes. So George Pullman was this railroad magnet. He mm-hmm. he self made man in some ways and mm. just rich guy, you know, had Horatio Alger, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yes. Horatio Alger. <laughs> Motor Horatio Alger. 
<laughs> so, so he fuck be- you. Thank you very much. He became famous for the Pullman sleeping cars and the Pullman yes. uh, cars. And uh, that's actually when Lincoln was assassinated. He yes. was brought to D.C. In a, Pullman car, in a Pullman car. And that kind of made it all the more famous. Ooh, Pullman sleeping cars. Yeah. Pull- I could be like a dead president. Pullman became like one of those <laughs> names. It, it actually became a name to describe something. Right. The brand name, like like iPod or whatever. And and so, yeah, yeah a, a Pullman. So, yeah, you would just call them Pullman cars, yeah. but they they may or may not have been actually made by Pullman. Yeah, yeah so they were Pullman yeah. cars. And uh, he didn't have uh, – there weren't airplanes at the time. You had to – if you were going to travel any length of time, you right. needed to be in a Pullman car basically yes, to you travel did. across country. So mm-hmm. he – was just ruthless to his workers mm-hmm. and eventually created his own utopia in South Chicago called Pullman. Right. And Debs eventually refers <laughs> to it Strangely called Pullman. Pullman. <laughs> <laughs> Pullman City, Pullman Town. And um, he also was involved in uh, building of Chicago. He was into architecture and uh, what they did is basically in order to to get it off the marsh that it was built on, raise the whole city up by about six feet so they could put the sewer underneath the the buildings and he was getting paid a lot of money uh, off of that work it's it's fascinating the history of chicago is really fascinating that way oh but, yeah but pullman is is like this anti-worker utopia yeah so this is your top down guy owns everything george mm-hmm. pullman says the people who do the the highest executive work get the best houses, and those who do the medium work they get medium sized houses. Right. And those who do the lowest work they live in tenements. And then everyone who lives in the town gets paid by Pullman a check that they can cash at the bank owned by Pullman. Right. And they pay their electric to Pullman, and they pay their water to Pullman. Did mm-hmm. he have his own currency or just no? It's real American dollars, but. But, but often he, he, he controlled might as well all, have had. Yeah, he controlled he all well the banks had. nearby. You would have had to travel. Basically, to find when you got bank. a check yeah. from Pullman and you were a worker, you got two checks. One was your rent check, which you were encouraged to just write over to Pullman, right. and one was your extra money check. So, yeah. so he'd already planned sure. that, that you were going to get your rent check. I own my time. soul to the company store. Yeah, yeah. this is this yeah. is true yeah. through and through. There were no hospitals in per- Pullman, right? Because if you got sick in Pullman, you couldn't pay your rent. You you left. You, you were just basically mm-hmm. kicked out. So there was no welfare. There was no. You weren't allowed to be really sick. No. Um, if you couldn't take care of your children or you had too many or whatever, you you were basically going to be pushed out of this utopia. Yeah. Which, which wasn't a utopia. It was like a horrible, horrible place. Right. And they had no way of fighting back. And when – when I, I, there's so much bad to say about Pullman. Yeah. Pullman is such a horrible, horrible place. He was a horrible person. And a horrible man. Yeah. Um, and, and this idea that he, he just strung – total company store town. And, and there's this long quote that I'm not even going to bore you with, but it's like, you know, born a Pullman – you know, house and raised in a Pullman house. You work in a Pullman, right. you're buried in a Pullman graveyard and whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll find the quote later. But um, eventually it got out that Pullman, which Deb's called Pullman Town, mm-hmm. was much like indentured servitude. And there was really no way out of it. I think in some ways it was even worse because I think like in in not that slaves in the South were treated well, but I think that they took it to be that you were a resource like a farm animal or like a mule or mm-hmm. a horse or something like that. So you 
you know, don't beat them too much, feed them well, they'll work for, hard for you and everything. At this level, you're like less than a machine You're or even a resource. You're just this thing to use up and throw away and make as much money off of. Expendable. And you're expendable. Well, yeah. yeah. There weren't any grandmothers mm-hmm. living in people's houses. No, they no, just, no. They no. couldn't stay. They couldn't make it. No. Uh, it was really yeah. harsh. And, and that's kind of the frustrating part about it. But the workers didn't know what to do, really. And at the and, time, there weren't unions. There were uh, brotherhoods. Right. So there was a brotherhood yeah. of the brakemen and a brotherhood of the, you know, coal men and the different yeah. groups that and, did different and just, things. Just to break away for a minute, what you're describing sounds a lot like how some of the Chinese factories work now. Sure. Where yes, you have just these true. large dormitories. Yes. Where the workers just live there. They're industrial you know, cities. Yeah. yeah. And they're, they have, basically they're just trapped in, in yeah. working for that factory. And that's embarrassing. So <laughs> it's it, it is embarrassing. We should know better. Well, yeah, yeah I, I wish, you know, and, I don't know that we can influence China, but in America, I'm right. embarrassed about what happened 100 years ago. Yeah. And it's yeah. really embarrassing yeah. that it's happening all yeah. around the world right now. Yeah. yeah. And and in some ways I think, you know, be, because of of the fall of organized labor and and uh how it's been gutted in so many ways certainly here in Wisconsin. Yeah. I mean, I think we're we're making large strides to go back to that that period of time, but yeah. as, as you were saying like the, with with Pullman these brotherhoods um you could call them guilds in some ways but they weren't really it was more like uh, like dungeons and dragons there was like a thieves yeah. guild <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah they were they were groups of people that would look out for their own self-interest yes and what happened is they often got played against each other by the management so the management like George Pullman could say well if you're not going to do it then so and so will take care of it or they'll say well we're going to reduce your pay because so and so brotherhood is not pulling their right. weight and then the same- Scott, Scott Walker is playing the workers against Yeah, themselves. divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. It's divide and conquer. Yeah. And, and that's what's really fascinating about the growth of unions in the first place is they came to show up and then we should finally start talking about Eugene Debs because that's when groups like the American Railroad Union started right. to create global unions and global groups yes. representing whole groups of workers and classes of workers, not necessarily the African-Americans, which – became kind of a strike breaker group, which became kind of a problem for unions right. in the early inceptions of unions. That's right. So I mean, that's right. So, so you, that racial tension is kind of there and it's kind of uncomfortable, but it's worth mentioning. But yeah, no, that's a very good point, mm-hmm. Victor. I think, uh, yeah, this it's it's like the Republican Party itself uh, when it was formed right here in Ripon, Wisconsin. <laughs> yes. uh, was, <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, <laughs> right here. <laughs> The Republican Party and cookies, right? And cookies. <laughs> and the hamburger. And the hamburger. Yeah, there's, there's uh. some controversy, but... <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, it, it was the party of free white labor. I mean, it, it was like, yeah, if you could be a Republican and you could be an abolitionist, but generally speaking, your big concern was, okay, so now you've got this huge, cheap workforce of ex-slaves. How is this going to affect white labor? You know, I mean, that was the big question, really. <laughs> It's 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 like there's something about humanity that that seems to crave an underclass that seems to yeah. need a, a a slave class or an untouchable or or something that you know oh well, they're trying to take our germs <laughs> so yeah. you had these early groups that you know at first were were more or less social groups they were they were there for you know like they like the VFW you know it was all kind of just 
hanging out and talking and, you know, maybe doing a bake sale or something. But then you had these groups that started to organize, like the Knights of Labor, Mother Jones. You know, you started to get these groups going and like the American Railroad Union, which was mm-hmm. a very early strong union, but at the time was very conservative and, and not labor oriented necessarily. But again, fractured. Mm-hmm. They they within themselves as a larger union were not sure what to do with these uh, robber barons mm-hmm. like George Douchebag Pullman. They right. weren't sure if they should attack him. It, they weren't sure if they should do you know a lot of things that already happened. There were there was a lot of other violence and other strikes that that showed that workers you know could be beaten and mm-hmm. you know gunned on. And there were also you know they would call in the. The army, the National Guard, right against strikers, and and oh sure. When it was the railroad, it was especially sensitive because the railroad also carried the mail. Mm-hmm. So there were other things to consider that would get the government involved on the side of the big business. If if mail flow was interrupted, that was always a, a blank check excuse to call out the National Guard or to call out you know army units right. and right. And, and, so and when on. we talk about the Pullman strike. That's exactly what happened. Back yeah. to present day, if mail's that important, we should call out the National Guard against the Republicans because they're <laughs> trying to shut down the post office with all their weird rules. They're oh my god, I know. Yeah, what what is it about the post office that pisses them off so much? I, I can't quite gather it's that. Too uh, much like government, but it's not. But no, it is. It's, <laughs> I think it's a privatization. If they could privatize it, then they probably would. It would and, go to yeah. private. You know, there's a, probably a lot of lobbying going on by FedEx and. UPS, and I'm sure they're getting a lot of money. Oh yeah, I'm sure you're right. So, I mean, it makes yeah. sense. Oh, what's but, the, what's the yellow and red one? Is it DHX or uh, don't know? Uh, or are they even there anymore? Maybe D- not. Yeah, there's something DHL. DHL, but, that's probably it. But the uh, you know the post office that they, they provide a lot of services to small compu- communities and stuff yes, that of doesn't. They do. No one smashes uh, my Netflix discs better than the post office. I know, <laughs> and I think they actually have the best service. You know. So. Oh yeah, I mean it's cool, especially if you get something in the mail on Saturday. Yeah, you're exactly. not gonna, you're not going to get that from. I like it's, Saturday delivery. I I find UPS is kind of creepy. It's like when they knock on your door and it's like dark and it's like six thirty at night. It's like who's there? <laughs> Who is it? Yeah, some man in brown Boy. shorts. Yeah. <laughs> your drug dealer here <laughs> isn't that a mitch hedberg joke yeah wow. a fedex guy is my best drug dealer he just doesn't know it <laughs> so, so anyway debs was born in 1855 in Terre Haute, mm-hmm. indiana right there is a museum to eugene debs right there yep in his home Terre Haute, which of mm-hmm. course means high earth when your state is flatter than piss on a plate any kind of foothill is high earth what so. does milwaukee mean <laughs> Ah, uh, the good earth. <laughs> I just need you to say that every now and then. <laughs> it means the cattle are dying in Algonquin. <laughs> uh, so, and uh, so Debs uh, went to public school, but he he dropped out at at fourteen, which was not unusual. I mean, you there were really no no educational right. restrictions. It's my well, I, I went to sixth grade, and that, that was more than enough, and they had to go to work in the coal That's mines. Right. Yep. So any you know, child labor that that was way in the future, right? Right. So I mean, you you have these awful black and white photos. You know, when you 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 had early photojournalism, where people would go in to these factories, these horrendous factories, where it'd be these open looms and 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 steel mills and and lathe uh, steel lathes and everything working. Yeah, metal lathes, and and there'd be these tiny little kids. Yep. 
Uh, in fact, we had a, a, a fascinating. Uh, I'm, I'm going to flash ahead a little okay, bit. Okay, fine. Mailbag, mailbag, mailbag. Uh, we had a great mailbag story. Oh, Billy, I like mailbag. Mailbag, mailbag, mailbag. <laughs> mailbag. We're just doing a random mailbag here. Yes, we. No, are. because it's really strange. Uh, this one letter did come. Letter <laughs> by by mail by mail by rail. Thank God there wasn't a strike. <laughs> there was no strike. It was delivered. And and I can't confirm or deny this story. But it was a great story that kind of related uh, child actually, labor law. Actually, no, I, I have you, you heard of okay. these these firebox boys. Cool. So uh, Gene wrote us about. Uh, he said a friend of his works for the railroads and told the story. And uh, in the late eighteen hundreds, up until nineteen ten, they actually had uh, kids called firebox boys. So of course, you know they, they use steam locomotives well until uh, the fifties, I believe, mm-hmm. until they switched to diesel. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of towns that owe their existence to the fact that these steam trains could only go about 50 miles or so or, you know, it wasn't too long and they had to stop and get more water and, you know, everything. So yeah. all these towns were built up. Well, eventually you would you would have to repair these these locomotives and they had these firebox boys. Boy. So they'd be like seven or eight years old and they'd be very small, very thin and on a in a steam locomotive, there were tubes inside the boiler, and they were prone to leak. In order to make the repair, you had to put the, out the fire in the firebox and let everything cool down to make the repair, fire the boiler back up, and wait for it to build steam. That would all take a couple of days, and when a locomotive is in service, you don't want to pull it off the line. If you can avoid it in between the monthly inspections. So what they would do is soak wooden planks in brine water for days and then take those planks and put them into the firebox on top of the burning coals so these young seven- or eight-year-old boys could crawl inside the firebox into the boiler and make repairs by peening with a hammer the metal around the leak in order to stop the leak. Before going into the firebox, the boys would be completely wrapped like a mummy, then soaked down with water. All that was exposed were their eyes. Then they would crawl through the small opening into the boiler and make the repairs. They would then have to work quickly. Not to worry if they were not back out in the prescribed amount of time, they had a rope also soaked in water around their waist in order to pull them out. These boys were recognized wherever they went and were treated with the respect of men. They would even go into bars and order a drink. The main goal of every firebox boy was to eat and put on as much weight as you could so you no longer fit through the door of the firebox. Then they would be reassigned to a safer, easier job. Yeah, Holy that's... So that's the kind of environment that, that we're talking about. You know, firebox boys. I mean, that's horrible. Wow. I, I got I got to talk to my uh, nine-year-old son and see what if that's a job he'd like to do. Yeah, would you like to be a firebox <laughs> boy? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, firebox boy. <laughs> well, De- Deb's worked on a, a railroad for, for a while in, until a mm-hmm. friend was brutally killed in a that's right. horrible accident. Another and, horrible uh, accident. his mother convinced him to do something else. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh but he did he did stay on the railroad. I mean, he was on the railroad for several years and when he got involved in labor, uh that's you know when the the great uh Pullman strike came to be in uh, 1894. So to flash back the year before that there was the great panic, the economic panic of 1893. So you could very much compare it to what happened in 2008. I mean, there was and and it was Almost like a a flash ahead to to uh, the Great Depression in mm-hmm. that you know it's like sell 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 and everything just plummeted and that's what happened with the yeah. Pullman City or Pullman Town is yeah is uh, profits died down and and Pullman refused to 
shut down his operation because he wanted to maintain the operation because he didn't want anyone else to come in and create another sleeping car, come up with another (laughs) way to do things, and then uh, sneak it out from under him. So the idea was, I'm going to keep everything kind of afloat and then just float through this semi-depression. Just pay everybody a lot less. Pay everybody a lot less. Right. Charge them the same. Right. And and they would cut wages by 20 to 30%. Yeah. So there were huge, like a third yeah. off. Huge wage cuts, but they'd have to pay the same rent. And no one, I forgot to mention, no one in Pullman was allowed to own their home. They had to rent their homes. So okay. all homes were rented. So no one had any property. No one earned anything from all this, but they... I, I just can't say enough bad things about Pullman yeah. Town. I he was mean, a, he was a horrible little man. Horrible. Yeah. yeah. And he lived in a giant man. Oh Atlanta. yeah, just a palatial estate. Yeah. You know, yeah. marble everything. <laughs> Release, Release the, the dogs. dogs. <laughs> and when we're talking about the you know these economic slumps and and the markets and that kind of thing, you you know the myth is that the. That you know the markets are, are perfect. They always assign the correct value to each item, and that's just the way it works. Um, but you know nothing could really be further from the truth. The you know if you start looking at stock prices and why things are where they are, mm-hmm. you know why this stock is priced really high or really low, you realize it's completely irrational. Hey, look, it does. I mean, people get excited about a stock and they bid it way higher. Oh, sure, than it's course. ever worth. And then of yeah. course, since it's way overpriced, yeah, <laughs> it just drops, and then people panic and sell it. It's like completely <laughs> irrational. And it, it doesn't. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna say one quick thing. Remember how Iceland was fucked. How Iceland's economy was fucking fucked. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Iceland's better now. Right. Well, the bankers that caused that went to jail and the government bailed everybody out instead of what happened in America where the government bailed out the bankers. (laughs) Right. Fucked the populace. (laughs) Iceland's doing okay now. I'm not going to say great, but, you know, all all reports are starting to say that, you know, what Iceland has done is made a good turnaround of a horrible economic downturn that was caused by risky financial behaviors of a market of douchebags who don't know what they're doing. Yeah, punish the problem. Right. Exactly. And we did not punish the problem or punish the cause. That's like, like I say, that's one thing I've always liked about China, you know, like when they had that, you know, uh, chemicals getting in the the baby milk, Mm -hmm. you know, they just, (laughs) they got all these CIOs and it was just like... Did you just hear a gunshot? <laughs> it's like, okay, problem solved. Yeah. I like that. That was bad. That was nice. Yeah. Yeah, None of this bullshit I, about like, well, I'm going to get a huge severance package and go to one of my many homes in Fiji. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I just, I, I do kind of wish that we were a little harder on the people that cause the financial problems and distress. Oh, yeah. Oh, I do too. Yeah. I have nothing against the death penalty. It's just used wrongly. <laughs> It's uh, seriously. I mean, yeah. well, it's it always does, used to punish have... the poor, and there are people that affect many more lives that should be yeah, on death yeah. row. But it doesn't even have to be the death penalty. I mean, put these people in, in jail, or at least find them, or something. I mean, and a real jail. Come on, a real pound you in the ass federal penitentiary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> not one of these Watergate Hiltons, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's you know, stick these guys in right, right, right with the drug dealers. Right and, and let them explain that. <laughs> so what you in for? Well, I um, I had this Ponzi scheme and got a lot of people to give me their money. And, I worked with hedge funds. <laughs> Everybody will be like, "Okay, man, you're the one cleaning the toilets now." That's right. <laughs> We're gonna pass you around like a tube of toothpaste. Yeah, but 
in any case, uh, in 1894, there was the, there was the big Pullman strike and frustrations. So you have to remember again, you know, mass communication is again in the future. So when these strikes would take place, there was a certain kind of pylon effect that could happen, and other uh, like-minded labor groups or brotherhoods would just kind of pile in. So pretty soon you get a pretty big-ass strike. But but you also had the media on the side of uh, the government, and the yep. government was on the oh, side yeah. of George Pullman. So you had a lot of people framing this as... Right. Those horrible, greedy unions. Even then, it was sure. all about that, which is just fascinating that we're going through the same thing right now. But yeah, so the strike really mounted and became hard to control. That's right. Well, and, and from this period of time, you also get the armories that are built in towns. So I'm sure if you, in your town, if you have a building that's built out of red brick or looks like a medieval fortress and it says armory on it somewhere, you'll probably find it was somewhere around this period of time. There was one in Portage, again, a verb. <laughs> a verb, <laughs> yeah. And, and we, we have one in Madison. The Red Gym was an armory for oh, cool. this purpose. You know, it's that, well, if the workers start to rise, we got to be able to do something about it. So wow. this is like this weird artifact I from that I think I actually period. have a picture of the Red Gym on our photo stream for Tank Riot. Because I think I went out on Lake Mendota and took a shot in at the Red Gym armory. Oh, okay. We'll have to look yeah. at it. Anyway. Yeah, it's like the Red Gym. It sounds like yeah. you're playing basketball yeah. the red in there. <laughs> I, I don't know if I don't know if I put that one up or not. Well, then, a, then maybe, it maybe a couple. Different I mean, you, ones. you could yeah. hold off like Crusaders and that thing. Yeah, yeah. you know, that's going to be when the zombie yeah. apocalypse happens. That's where I'll end up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah you're yeah. going to be yeah. in one of the parapets on the Red Gym. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready. Just Google Red Gym, Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a pretty awesome looking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I uh-huh. I like the building, but I, when, when you know what its purpose was. Well, let's just call it the armory. Let's just call it the armory yeah. from now on. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, in a very short period of time, there was like at least 80,000 strikers in this Pullman strike. And there, you know, was all kinds of, you know, National Guard called and everything. And it became known as Deb's Rebellion. Mm-hmm. And everybody was trying to avoid the mail cars. They were trying right. to not stop mail. Yeah. And Debs was trying to make sure that nobody interfered with mail. And Debs was also, he wasn't a pacifist. He felt like uh, no. if there were reasons to, you should, you know, attack those attacking you. But he didn't want violence to erupt. And, and he no. was trying to quell people from acting and burning houses down and, and things and like that. And he didn't quite buy into the whole, you know, strike immediately. Right. No, 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 he didn't. In fact, he was trying to convince them otherwise because he knew that all these forces were marshalling against them. Mm -hmm. And it was, in fact, but, you know, after a certain point, it gains a momentum of its own and you better either fall in or get out of the way. Yeah. So he fell in with it. Well, I shouldn't say fall in, but I mean, he realized that, okay, this is going to happen regardless. So he might as well try to do this right. Yep. And I think the, the, the problem with it is, is that it could get very large, very quick. And the government had no problem, state government or federal government had no problem bringing in, you know, soldiers armed with bayonets. And, and this was one of the problems. Well, that's when it escalated. That's when it escalated. And that's when the, a lot of the strikers also convinced the soldiers that, hey, you're a worker just like we are. Why are you, you know, and they joined in. So, 
And that's mm-hmm. that's how they hid mail cars within passenger cars, right. so that if you <laughs> if you held back a passenger car, you were interfering with the distribution the of the mail, yeah. and, and then cause it to bring the mail in. is sacred. Yeah, mail is sacred. Don't stop the mail. So, so the New York Times in 1894 actually called Debs a lawbreaker at large and an enemy of the human race. <laughs> I mean that's pretty harsh. Yeah. <laughs> lawbreaker, okay, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Enemy of the human race. Did you race? have to go to enemy of human race? <laughs> really? Yeah. It's just like snidely whiplash or something. <laughs> yeah, that's you know that's not really good good reporting. I mean, the reporter's job should be understand the viewpoint of Debs. And, and oh, then, then ex- yeah, that's what it should journalism. be. But it's never no. been that way. No, it, it never yeah. has been. And, and remember, at this time, that Debs, Debs is not a political activist in in the way that he got to be known for. He's he's not been introduced to the larger principles of socialism or Karl Marx or any of these things. He's, right. he's yeah. essentially a Democrat. he's essentially a Democrat, and and he's yep. you know becoming more polarized to the labor movement. And uh, what what's interesting is, is that so 13 strikers were killed and considering, you know, the army was involved in everything, but thousands were blacklisted, which in that period of time was pretty much as bad as being killed because you were not going to work anywhere. So if you had family, if you're just trying to feed yourself, it didn't matter. You weren't going to get a job. Mm-hmm. You know, blacklisting at that period of time was was devastating. It was kind of a walking death in a certain way. So and there was uh, eighty million dollars worth of property damaged. Although I I can't really I I imagine they probably flipped a few Pullman cars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I know. I'm guessing some Pullman cars were off That's the track. Eighty million dollars. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that one alone. <laughs> I do like how Clarence Darrow represented him. Oh, I know, and he was a corporate lawyer. <laughs> well, yeah, he, at the time for the railroad, he was a lawyer for the railroads. Yeah, and he had to quit his job in order to represent Tebbs. I always think yeah. I always think of, when I think of Clarence Darrow, I always think of Spencer Tracy. Right. In um, the Scopes Monkey Trial. Yeah, in Here oh, at the yeah. Wind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, he's just so oh. awesome as Clarence mm-hmm. Darrow. So. so that's... But but let me remind you, we lost that one, right? What? The, the... Scopes Monkey Trial? Yeah. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. 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 I, I, I think that everyone remembers that we won that, but we didn't. No. <laughs> so. No, I mean, it's it's like everything else. It's like uh, when they broke up the Standard Oil Trust. That was the last of the big trusts to finally be broken mm. up. Well, of course, at the end of, of the last century, just like Terminator 2, it started reassembling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. you can't break the thing. The thing is, is that these corporations, and this is a thing globally, too. I mean, you almost have to question whether the whole concept of a nation state really has meaning or weight anymore, because you have these organizations and these groups who are not governments, they're not elected officials, but have governmental power and influence. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 kind of, it's very scary in a lot of ways, because, you know, people that you will never know, who, their names can, can write laws and regulate trade or do whatever in much the same way. And again, they're looking for slave classes in other countries. They're, they're looking for people where a dollar a day is, is a big sum of money. Right. And they don't have to, you know, worry about taking care of them in any way, shape or form. And I don't know. It's, it's like we don't, we, we haven't left this and this, this raw industrial age yet where this, this form of thinking where profit at any cost and, and the more profit, the more windfall profits you can get is, is an end and a means, is a means and an end in and of itself. That, that there's really mm-hmm. nothing else. That it, it is about control. It is about winning. It is about power. 
Mm-hmm. It's about dominance. It doesn't. It doesn't even mean anything. After a certain m- amount of money, what can you really do? And I think that's the Koch brothers too. If you're worth over a hundred, if you have over a hundred billion dollars worth of holdings, then controlling a government yeah. and making spidery little moves to do things is got to be like. Um, yeah. having that human chessboard, you know, where you, you know, you have people actually dressed as a rook oh, or, yeah. or a pawn and you're just moving them around. I mean, this is how you're getting your jollies after a certain point. But there are some people yeah. out there like the owner of Costco and Warren Buffett. And that other is true. Who that are is like, true. well, look, this is not how I want to live. I mean, I want to make a mm-hmm. certain amount mm-hmm. of money and I do deserve some profit, but then, well, you know, tax me. And then some people I'll have a pay conscience. My workers. Well, it, it's fascinating but, because sometimes I think, okay, if I were given all the wealth of a George Pullman, would I be an incredible dick and fuck everybody over right. who was below me? Or right. would I be a reasonable person <laughs> no, who tried a, to give everybody something? No, and that's a very good point. It, it's interesting, but in the human condition, those people who are led to the top tend to have I, – I think it's been – pretty well proven in the literature psychopathic behaviors that oh, yeah. tend to show yeah. that they're going to be dicks yeah oh yeah so. <laughs> well because the normal people once you sort of reach a certain point you're able to buy everything you want and, and, and you know you're at a level of comfort and you're satisfied your masses the, have been opiated that's right. yeah <laughs> whereas you know if if, if you're you know a crazed power freak you're like i want more so i can control more and you know you're mm-hmm. stroking the the little kitten as you think of how you can you know take over the world <laughs> mr bigglesworth da-da, yeah, da-da. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> they call me dr blurfeld yeah. <laughs> no i know i know just what you what you're saying because yeah. once you're be- you're rich be on the dreams of avarice that it's really all just one big head game it's all just winning control dominance uh-huh. it's and, yeah, but you the know the whole world is your chessboard that's right yeah what what I, but you're right though there's there are people like you know buffett and so forth that okay i'm gonna make millions of dollars be a total dick to everyone and then I'm going to become a philanthropist <laughs> and, and, and have history think well of me. Well, I mean, that's exactly yeah. what we were saying about Obama. It's playing for the history books, and that's exactly yeah. what Carnegie did, and it worked. It worked. It worked. And and for mm. Rockefeller as well. Yeah. Rockefeller. Car- Carnegie, Carnegie during strikes, I mean, he used to run barbed wire and boiling water through tubes around right. uh, the building so that you know workers would be scarred and boiled. You know, sure. on the way. Oh, he'd electrify the barbed wire. That's right. I mean, the guy was a A1 douche. Well, I mean, you know, the Ludlow mm-hmm. Massacre with uh, Rockefeller is another example yeah, until finally exactly. his son said, I know, guess we could, we could name we, a massacre on anyone. We got to, yeah, we really could. You know, we're just <laughs> like, well, you know. The haymarket. The peasants mm-hmm. The peasants are getting out of control. Right. Is, is really what it comes yeah. down to. Which, so, oh, I'm so, sorry, go ahead. So Debs went to prison for this. Yes, he did. As, yeah. as the cause... Of Deb's Rebellion. He was the leader. He was, he was the <laughs> ringleader. If it looks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it's Deb's. And he, it was a six-month. He went to like... Uh, yeah, he did a six-month six in, month stand in and, Woodstock, Illinois. And, and he got a lot Home of, of the Famous Concert. Yes. <laughs> Not home of the Woodstock. Concert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're totally lying about that. Yeah, yeah I mean, there might be a He little, was on uh... stage at Woodstock. <laughs> That's right, naked. I mean, Woodstock, Illinois, there might be a little, you know, three-person uh, combo that played to a crowd of 15, <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that's what we're talking about, the famous concert. More likely, there was someone played a Eugene Debs song at the Folk Fest. There you yeah. go. Not at Woodstock. There you go. I hear yeah. he's plugged in now. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
Oh, God. But with you in Madison, occasionally Woodstock is a drive-thru on your way to Chicago. Right. Yeah. True. Right. Oh, God. I, I, I tell you this. We're, we're, we're meeting the in-laws in Bloomington, Illinois. We're meeting at the halfway point between, from, from Indiana. For negotiations. Oh, yeah? Yeah, for negotiations. <laughs> yes. It's, <laughs> it's like our DMZ, Bloomington, Illinois. <laughs> there will be weaponry. We'll meet you on the overpass. <laughs> The oasis. So there's a water park. The interstate. There's a water park to keep the kids entertained, and there better be a bar. Is all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Debs Debs was visited in jail by uh, Milwaukee socialist newspaper Victor Berger, who will figure in very heavily sure. later. But uh, he he was the one that gave Debs. A copy of Das Kapital. Now, again, remember, this guy left school at 14, and he's been working on the railroad and everything. Now, maybe, you know, he was always a reader or, you know, self-taught, whatever. But if you've ever tried to wade through Das Kapital, it's not an easy book. But can you imagine the situation of a man who just was part of a union trying to help workers? Right. And then all hell breaks loose and he ends up going to prison for it. Exactly. And Your then life's someone over. hands him Das Kapital <laughs> yes. and he's reading it going, yeah. oh my God. This is like the word of God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is how capitalism works. <laughs> the rich are mega rich and the government's on their side and the paper's on their side. And right. I'm a lowly proletariat worker. That's exactly right. That must have been mind blowing. It that, had to be. It must have been the perfect person to read that. He he must. <laughs> he said he was just like slowly reading it, but just like couldn't put it down, and must have spent like all six months just like pouring over this. So when he yeah. comes out, he is now an energized Marxist. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. He was very receptive to the ideas. He was a captive. A captive yeah, that's uh, what I was going to say. Is yeah. that's the most receptive person. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> And that's that's when he you know so in 1895 that's when he then he became uh, you know had uh, began his socialist political career. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is is Debs was always one of these guys that that ran for office and he would get a certain amount of votes, but it didn't matter. He'd just keep running. He's kind of like. Um, Ralph Nader? Ron Paul. (laughs) Ron Paul. I mean, he's just going to keep going until, you know, he can't anymore. Part of me likes Ralph Nader, but part of me respects Eugene Debs a hell of a lot more than Ralph Nader. Okay. Well, Ralph Nader was a safety conscious guy who tried to encourage good safety behaviors. But then I think there was a cynical level of Ralph Nader's campaigns for presidency that I don't think was present for someone like Eugene Debs. Uh, I think Eugene Debs was there. To try to actually make a difference, I don't know. I don't. I don't know I think, that, that was I th- actually. In I existence. think I know what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I think Eugene yeah. Debs was in a period of time where you definitely had kind of a Mister Smith goes to Washington yeah. guy who really kind of believed in the system and, and the and, and in a way that you could perfect the system so you truly had liberty and justice for all. Whereas R- R- Ralph Nader. It's it's more of a political statement than it. Was, it yeah, it was a stunt. It was a way to get his name out there. It was a way to get his statements yeah. out there. <laughs> You're right. But, I think it was you, more of a stunt. You didn't have the same kind of national media. You didn't have the same way of outreach that Nader had. You didn't have the same. No, you didn't have the mass scope. communication. No, but but he out, <coughs> outperformed Nader in an incredible yes, he fashion. Did. I mean, yes, he did. He achieved mm-hmm. the highest level of votes, I think 6% basically. He, he ran six times yeah. as the Socialist Party candidate. Right, right. And uh, what I thought was interesting too was um, Emile Seidel 
was was uh, uh, a running mate of his in one of the campaigns, and he was one of the socialist mayors of Milwaukee. Milwaukee had many, many socialist mayors, and that's yeah. always been, uh, I think, a point of pride for me in, <laughs> yeah. in, in Wisconsin. That's something I definitely like to learn about more. Well, what's interesting yeah. about these guys, it, to me anyways, has been, I know this is a bit of a sidebar, but I think it kind of gives you more of a sense. Like when we say Marxist, when we say socialist, I mean, I think you tend to think of kind of like college intellectuals kind of throwing around a lot of terms and you're shopping mall Marxist, you're uh, suburban socialist, yeah. you know, there's Che Guevara t-shirt. Yeah. Right, exactly. And these guys were not highly educated men. They were not intellectual men, but they truly understood the concepts of what Marx was trying to say and the socialist concepts as well, and would simply try to take the resources available to them and parse them out in an equitable way that benefited the most people. And they tried to take care of people. So, I mean, I know that today that would be like, you know, a simpering Swedish level, you know, uh, welfare state. But no, then it was seen as this is what good government does. It takes care of its people. You're invested in the system and the system takes care of you as well. So these, and these it's still that's still what we should do. And it's still what we should <laughs> yeah, do. And, and, I mean, and, and general, I know it you, sounds like we're talking about like a fairy tale or something. Yeah, you can argue about the details about how you do it and, and all that thing like that. But generally speaking, yes, we should figure out what works best for everybody. And, these are good things. <laughs> yes, yes. And I, for one, agree with Tor and Sputnik on this issue. I do think that we should take care of each other. I do think that our government, you know, it'll never be big enough that there's millions for everyone no 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 but, no, but no. yeah you know i just don't Perhaps feel like inflation. it's an every man for himself is gonna work no for a society no and that's why we found societies is so we can help each other and i feel like they're the cooperative idea, yeah groups the, the communities. idea that, that a term like socialism would become a negative <laughs> yes. in a cooperative <laughs> society is just yeah pisses me off to no degree oh i know because it really is what we should be looking for and trying to do rather than screw your neighbor you know well, exactly. to get more for yourself the, i guess that's what impresses me about people of this period of time in that they're, they're working people maybe not highly educated but truly understand and passionately pursue these principles Whereas, you know, now when you can throw around and, and yes, it's it's very true, you know, Rupert Murdoch and a lot of the, you know, the whole right wing noise machine makes terms like liberal sound dirty and kind of namby pamby and so forth. I'm taking it back. I'm taking it back, Porch Monkey. Porch Monkey. <laughs> taking it back. But, uh, clerk's reference. <laughs> just yeah, oh yeah. Don't, <laughs> Jesus, don't, don't, yeah, take but no, that wrong. Really, I do feel like I'm taking back the liberal term because I, I feel like I want to be known as a liberal because that, that really <laughs> is, that is where I stand on most issues. I feel like I'm liberal on most issues. I'm, I'm not Democrat. I'm not Republican. I'm liberal on most issues. And I feel like yeah. using the word out loud rather than uh, putting up with the noise machine and saying, I shouldn't say I'm liberal because Fox says that's such a bad thing. In yeah. some ways, I'm very much more a socialist than, you know, someone like Barack Obama. I w- but I don't feel like. No, I I, I'm, I would describe myself the same way. I would describe myself as a leftist or a socialist. I would not describe myself as a liberal and and I think this is kind of the point I was trying to get to at the at the first part of the podcast in that 
These to me were people that thought about and passionately believed in what they were doing. And I just, maybe it's just, you know, living in Madison that, that is kind of poisoned me this way. But it seems to me that the left really started going downhill when it was redefined in the 60s. To me, that's when it all kind of became it, it really... It melded with hippie. It, it just, yeah. And then all yeah. of a sudden it became hippie. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, to me, like the, the punks in the 70s were much more closer to what I was about politically. Yeah. That was more like the, you, you know, the turn of the 20th century, you know, 19th to 20th. Yeah. You know, union movement. and Whereas, yeah. whereas you know, the, the, the hippies and, and what came out of that. To me, I've always felt a real distance from my crystals and chakras weren't really feeling. That. <laughs> that's, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. There was a certain part of me that felt like w- when Scott Walker took away the right of collective bargaining. To me, that was like such a fundamental thing that. And and don't get me wrong, I respect everyone who went out and you know held a sign, got the those signatures on the petitions, and so forth. But it all it was one of those things that it it just struck me that there there should have been so much more real anger, not the anger that they accused us of, but yeah. that it should have been like, what in the hell do you think you're doing? Mm-hmm. This is a fundamental American right that was fought for and died for, and blood has been spilled time and again over a hundred years ago. But that, and there you go, and that's the point. It's like we have to relearn yeah. the whole thing right. over again. Yeah, and I think that's why it's a and good think, time to bring up someone like Eugene Debs, exactly. who actually was a socialist after being a Democrat for a while, and decided yeah. that it was best to fight for the interest of the working class. And it was because of Debs and because of others that we ended up with. And and it, it's cliche to bring up the eight-hour workday, but these are things that were fought for during the Industrial Revolution that were created because when we talk about things going on with like walmart right now and Mm -hmm. and workers going on strike because they don't want to work on thursday of thanksgiving yeah yeah well you know good i'm glad they're striking for it i'm glad they're fighting for it and i wish they would all you know fight for it together because that's the only way they're going to win it but they deserve to not work on thursdays I think so too. And yeah. and what pissed me off was that there was like, you know, a smattering of coverage about it, you know, about these these sure. you know, these strikes. But then the next day all they could obsessively talk about was that it fucked up the Black Friday sales numbers because you couldn't really count it the same way because you had the spillover oh, from Thanksgiving. Fuck yourself. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. To me, it's like, I'm sorry, are Halloween and Thanksgiving inconvenient for yeah. you? I mean, is this like yeah. pissing you off? Well, what one news story I heard is like, uh, wow, things really went well this year. I think it was because they started shopping earlier and, and yeah. Thanksgiving. I'm like, oh, great. So... It worked. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Am I the you know, one I that doesn't it... care when someone buys something for someone else for their <laughs> no, Christmas? No. Yeah, I could give a rest. No. Sex. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, uh, my wife and I do not have kids. So we've, we've talked a lot about kind of like retooling our Christmas. I mean, we, uh, my, my wife's fam, uh, brothers and sisters have kids and we both 
obviously have family and so forth. So why not just get gifts for them and let's like, really, let's not worry about this shit. Let's not put up a tree. Let's make this a sanctuary, a, mm-hmm. a, a hidden place from the madness that is the constant daily toll of how much money has been spent by people. And I'll tell you something, this and this and this really honks my shit is, okay, we have our Powerball lottery and it gets to a certain level and then there's a yeah. certain amount of madness that takes mm-hmm. hold. Mm-hmm. So I was in the filling station last night. There was a fucking line that went outside of the store. And, and the manager had to come out and tell people, you know, because fire marshal rules, you can't stand in front of the door. And, 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 and there was not a person in that line that looked like they had a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. But then they're buying these goddamn lottery tickets. And all I could think of was George Orwell talking about the proles reading the paper for their horoscopes and who won the fucking lottery. Yeah, you, you know, the... <laughs> You know the thing, of course. Proles, I'm, short for proletariat, right? <laughs> yeah, I gotta love mixing in the Orwell with a Eugene Debs topic. <laughs> That's pretty hilarious. <laughs> I had to work for it, but by uh, God, I got it you, in there. You earned that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, you know, I think with the story of Debs. You know, we could we could go into the for, the founding of the uh, industrial workers of the world, which we could do a whole podcast on. Quite honestly, the IWW. Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, yeah, I mean th- this had some some of the true labor giants in it, like uh, Big Bill Haywood, uh, who ran the uh, Western Foundation of Miners uh, yeah. Union, and and so forth. And uh, they. They were able to, to to gather all of these groups, all of these you know uh, various labor groups from around the country, into this one union. And and remember, this isn't these aren't skilled you know guilds or trade unions or anything. These are just people that are are trying to get better working conditions and and uh, yeah. better hours and pay and so forth. And and they formed them all into this one you know national group. But of course, and and I guess I guess why I I would suggest like skipping over a lot of it is because you can do your own reading on this, which makes fascinating reading. However, sure. it again is somewhat sad because it, it it highlights the factionalism that when you get any group of of the left together, they're going to start finding ways some to do violence. Some do not do violence, right? Mm. And the IWW, yeah. I mean, you you might have seen a lot of their <laughs> symbols with you know the black cat, and mm-hmm. and there was there was some like you know sabotage. Well, we saw a lot and, of the the black cat uh, during the Walker uh, rallies. Absolutely, because a lot of people were calling for oh, strikes. Yeah. They wanted people out. Well, yeah, strikes. and general strikes too. And then, yeah. and that's oh, yeah. the thing is like labor laws are written now that that you know completely take away the right of the general strike, which mm-hmm. to me is like taking away the major power yeah. of, of of a labor union, which is bullshit and in and of itself. Given the recall didn't work, it was kind of, maybe twenty twenty high. Hindsight, maybe the general strike way. The general strike would have done the, something. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Freaked him out. I mean, I think so too. Yeah, a general strike would have done something, and and that, and that would have been a nonviolent way to to have done it. Although yeah. I I personally would have been willing to sabotage my workplace. <laughs> yeah, but it is twenty twenty <laughs> hindsight. At you know, at the time, I know I was thinking, ooh, recalls. We could just get rid of Scott Walker, right? You know, so no, doesn't. How do you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think what really got Debs into trouble was his opposition to World War One. Yes, and the United States actually entering into the war. And yeah, yeah, it was a famous speech that he gave, and this was the this was Excuse the one me. that landed him in prison. So th- that's you know something I have to admit my own uh, history study is a little uh, weak on is 
what what would have how would have World War One resolved if the U.S. did not join in? And uh, was it a good choice for us to join in the World War II, or were the isolationists correct? Well, you know, how does history mm, really look at that? See, now here's here's the thing: you could because you can argue this from from either point. Now, yeah. the first part of it is is that that World War One, which was essentially just all of these alliances all coming together, so. so like how a decade has two or three years where it's kind of influenced by the previous decade and it takes a while before that decade might get its own kind of flavor and voice and color and so forth. Yeah. Well, so you have the same thing with centuries. I think we're still very much living in a 20th century mode. So that was true. Uh, you know, in the last century where you still had a lot of monarchies and a lot of these alliances and so forth, and the socialists had actually been able to hold off the outbreak of World War One for like two or three years. It could have started much earlier than than it did in 1914, but because of of these socialist groups and anarchist groups and and many other groups. Mm-hmm. So. World War One and World War Two, to me, were, I think, historically seen as benefits to America, certainly to the industrialists who profited huge from it. But it also took what was essentially seen as kind of a backward, young, more, more or less rural country and put it on the world stage on the same level as the the big European colonial powers. So yeah. we, we had an ocean distance away from any real conflict, but we had all these resources we could keep pouring into it. We entered late and then looked like we were, you know, the big heroes and everything, but essentially... And, and I would say the same thing about the Second World War as well. I mean, we essentially entered very late... And uh, you know we're the big winners. We, we won we everything. Gained a, we gained all this stuff. Yeah. But I mean, you know, well, I mean, the, the Second World War was so gigantic. I mean, the contributions well, from all the sides were huge. But the I just uh, kid about Americans. Uh, yeah. Look at how we won the war, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, the the Second World War. It's a little bit. I, I mean, it's. It, you can make a really good case for an involvement in the Second World War no, no, because no, no. Sure, I'm not sure, saying sure. we shouldn't have been involved, but what? But, I, what yeah, I, but yeah. Hitler was t- such a huge douchebag. <laughs> oh you no, no, I mean? no, no! I grant you, I grant but you, but I have to admit, I don't know as much about World War One. Okay, so it was I'm kind of, of wondering, it, was it? Yeah, <laughs> they were I, fed I know up with each other. I, I know that stuff, but <laughs> you know, it's like, would, would it even have mattered if we didn't even show up? You know what I mean? It well, was it, it really necessary? I mean, it would, it would have affected our alliance with England. Yeah, we we did not. It's true. We I mean, what we gained from the First World War is again we gained an entrance into world politics that we did not enjoy previous to that. So actually, it it, it might not necessarily be a, an ethical or moral no, no, gain, but it no. was we definitely gained a, you know swagger. We, we are li- and, we we arrived late. We were the cavalry. Um, the English and yeah. the French were pretty much exhausted by that time, and the Germans, because Russia had become the Soviet Union and they could pull all their troops to the Western Front, were making big pushes. And if it, it you know the America the the entrance of America into the war again put a lot of money into there's a a, a marine general 
uh, by the name of Smedley Butler. Yeah, you talked about him before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who who wrote about all this stuff. And he said, you know, who's it. really coming out ahead? And he just figured this shit out. And here again, here's another individual mm-hmm. uh-huh. who, who yeah. took part in, like, the Philippine insurrection under Pershing. I mean, some real biblical shit. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and all the stuff in Haiti and, and whatnot. And, and in the end... He just sat and he figured it out and he tallied it out and said, you know what? I I don't think we had dick all to do with this. And these guys, you know, Armor Foods and the munitions makers and the steel makers, they all made a lot of goddamn money. But nobody else, yeah. you know, came out except, you know, wounded and scarred or dead or, you know, yeah. whatever. So, so. Um, it's like the Frangi rules of business. Uh, that's right. <laughs> you know, war or the, the peace is profitable. It was one rule. Another rule is war is profitable. Right. It's all right. profitable. You just kind of figure it out. I think the rules are like back to back. It was like yeah, the yeah. Ferengi rule commerce number sixty seven and then sixty eight or Yeah, yeah, exactly like that. Is I that... like I like the one to not simultaneously prepare for and prevent war. Mm-hmm. Is that what Yeah. Yeah. You can't yeah, exactly. And <laughs> and uh what what I find interesting was that in this period of time, Woodrow Wilson was a real douchebag. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he was one of these guys that was definitely picked by the party machines and, you know, large business interests. He opposed women getting the vote, um, which was ironic since he had this stroke that left him largely paralyzed while he was still in office and his wife was essentially running the country. <laughs> you could say Mrs. Wilson was probably our first female wow. president in a lot of ways. She, I mean, she controlled access to him and, and everything else. I mean, I think she, yeah. I mean, the guy was like almost incapacitated completely. So I'm sure she was like saying, yes, dear, I think you want to, you know, <laughs> moving the paper. <laughs> but so you're basically wow. right. I mean, we didn't have, we didn't have an air force. Like at no. the time we had no. nothing for military, No, but we were, we were forcing ourselves, you know, to join world war one. We, we forced and, ourselves, we, yeah. we, we entered the world stage. Right. And Debs was against it. And, yes. and Debs was giving speeches. He was going and, around saying that we shouldn't be a part of World War. Right. And, and I guess right. in, 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 as far as researching Debs, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, how do I grade him? Did he pick the right choice, you know, in the war or not the war? Well, yeah. I think. And it, it sounds like it's almost too great to even. I, th- I think it's one of those things where did. did on your, depends on your point of view and all that business no i don't know i think it would depend on your familial alliances at that time because there we were an immigrant nation at the time there were a lot of english immigrants there were a lot of irish immigrants there were a lot of uh german immigrants and a lot of them just didn't want to get involved in the war at home and a lot of people were against the war so there were there was great contingencies of germans and english who just didn't want to be involved because they wanted to be american so the isolationism wasn't just a governmental stance it was a lot of people were like we're here now right we don't want to be involved let's in a be war. americans let's and... be americans yeah and, and they, they they but they did again have ties at home and they knew people who were involved in the fighting and so yeah oh there's a lot of well our feelings about world war one yeah. and, and in scotty nation obviously we have a very high percentage of german immigrants and they were very highly persecuted during the first world war and you know, fighting mm-hmm. Bob Lafollette, he was to that. He, he was definitely you know aware of that and trying to keep that from from occurring. But then, of course, you also had Attorney General Palmer. 
you know, the, the author of the famous Palmerades, where J. Edgar Hoover kind of got his start and so forth, where Emma Goldman and he was like, let's get all the Reds. This was the r- first up. Red yeah. scare mm. and just ship them all to the Soviet Union. Let's just get rid of them all. So they had this Espionage Act, which, of course, goes back to our second president, John Adams, the, the you know, Alien and Sedition Act. So you can just keep building on this bullshit, which I have no doubt they'll build on the Patriot Act. You know, so you have this legislation which essentially says you're either first or you're a Guinness. And there is still an Espionage Act in effect. There, in fact, is. And, you know, it's being used. They're trying to use it against uh, Julian Assange. Yeah. And, you know, Bradley. Um, Bradley Manning. Bradley Manning. Bradley Manning, yeah. Who, you know, I, I haven't heard any improvement in his. No. I mean, um, he's in a deep, dark hole and, you know, he might as well be in Tehran. I wish for... the guy could just have a pot to piss in and a oh, yeah. coat, you know. But oh, you know, I, I, I've heard they haven't even. This is how Americans that. treat Americans. I mean, I, I haven't heard pathetic. anything more about this, but uh, I, I, a while back there's an article that um, Anonymous is claiming. That it stopped Karl Rove from uh, uh, stealing the election for Romney. I read that mm-hmm. article. I thought yeah. that was fascinating, but I, I haven't <laughs> read much yeah. corroboration of that. Yes, I don't. I, but n- with no anonymous, idea. you never know. No. I mean, it's, yeah. it's always yeah. kind of like, well, maybe I. Yeah, and they're kind of threatening it. You know, I don't know. Keep we, in line, or we're going to send. We a, might have to find a way to share that article with our listeners. But ba- the basic fact was that Carl Rove was holding out suspiciously long into the ten minute and fourteen mark, which yeah. was about when the election actually turned years ago. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it was just it was interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's it, at the very least, it's a classic conspiracy classic. theory. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. I enjoyed. People, I enjoyed the read. Yeah, yeah. But uh yeah, you, it's hard to know if it's yeah, true or not. So Yeah, that's very yeah, exactly. So in any case, uh he uh Debs was sentenced to ten years in prison. Uh in nineteen eighteen in nineteen yeah sedition. Ten acts of sedition. Which which he, was basically discouraging people to sign up for the draft. Exactly. Yeah, and it's yeah, and 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 what he said in the speech was very very vague. Yeah, you you you'd have to be really looking for it, and they it's, were. It's, and the only reason we know what he said was the FBI or the government had sent stenographers to like write down everything he said. So right. the only reason we know the content of his speeches at the time is because the government was spying on him. Right, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of hilarious. I mean, that's just off of someone's uh, you know punished for having a conscience or trying to speak right. speak what they think He's is a, not one of us a moral activity. Right, but this is like uh, an example of of um, Deb's oratory, which I particularly like when he says, "I am not a labor leader. I do not want you to follow me or anyone else. If you are looking for a Moses to lead you out of the capitalist wilderness, you will stay right where you are. I would not lead you into the promised land if I could." Because if I led you in, someone else would lead you out. You must use your heads as well as your hands and get yourself out of your present condition. No truer words have ever, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. ever been spoken. Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that to me just hits it all. If I led you to the promised land, some other asshole. Because if you're right that, that, that easy. <laughs> if you're a sheep, you're still a sheep. You know, that's the problem. <laughs> Nice. So, so he was, you know, looking at at ten years, and you know, he's not a young man at this point. But this is interesting. He ran his sixth presidential campaign from a prison cell. 
Yeah. And there were campaign buttons and that, was his that best you could get when it said vote for prisoner number and then edit yeah. prison nice. number. <laughs> that would be a sweet button to have. Mm-hmm. Actually, you can if you look at uh, the website for the Eugene Debs Foundation in Terre Haute. Uh, they have a reproduction. They have well, they have reproductions. Yes, you're yeah. not going to get a real one, but hey, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, unless you he get was, lucky on eBay. <laughs> he was married, uh, Kate. I forget Merton or something. He was married and never had any kids. And right. the house that he lived in is a museum in right. Terre Haute. So it's it's actually on the. It's, uh, it's filled with everything. Indiana University right now. Yeah. And it's yeah. filled with all kinds of memorabilia. Yeah, it's yeah. on the National Re- Register. Yeah, I would, historic. I would love to go there. Sharp elbow to the glass case. You could probably get one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oops, I fell. I seem to have accumulated all of these things. It's a football injury. It's kind of a twitch. Yeah. <laughs> well, one man in prison, prison, I am not free. <laughs> yeah, just go out swinging, man. Steal that button. So at his trial, which I thought was fascinating, he asked if he could make a statement, and he spoke for two hours. Hours. Yeah, that's the other thing. You try to quote Debs, he his speeches are legendary for being long. Yeah. The guy can get out, and he was a great And he's orator. doing them off the cuff. I mean, it's not like he's writing this shit down. He's just thinking about it, and it's like, you know what? I'm going to have this on the record. Yeah. <laughs> the guy was fascinating. He really, truly was. In any case, um, I, I think, suggest that you... Well, let's just say he was he, he was sentenced to prison, but he did get released. Um, yeah. But weren't G. Hardy? <laughs> I know. Which yeah. is funny when you think about it's it. It's really strange. On Christmas Day. Yeah. It was like a Doctor Who episode or something. Yeah. yeah. It's a Christmas special. Well, I'm, I'm going to let that Debs character go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I heard a, Warren G. Harding kind of described as being a, a nice man. You know, well, I don't know if you liked his politics, but I guess he was a nice man. I, and he just decided to let him go. I mean, Warren G. Harding is one of those guys that, like I say, when we did our Worst Presidents episode, we're, oh, yeah, he's in that top three. <laughs> you know, like that story about when he died, his wife went into the private house that he kept outside of the of the White House where, you know, he obviously had his women and his buddies and it was okay. prohibition and he had his booze and his card games. And she just went in and in front of all these reporters burned all these papers. Wow. I mean, just, yeah. It's like, yeah, it might look bad, but shit, this will look worse. (laughs) (laughs) So, Warren G. Harding himself is is like worthy of a whole podcast, you know, but. But we got to say, I mean, he was celebrated in prison. He didn't want to be, he didn't want to be let out special favors. He got a standing O. Yeah. When they let him out of prison. It was 1921 when he was let out. And, you know, everyone was like, oh, let him out, let him out. But he wanted every man in the prison to be freed and and he yeah. wanted everyone to be treated with respect and he didn't want to just get treated with respect because he was a celebrity he wanted everybody to get out that's the whole thing um i would like to read the only book that he ever wrote which was walls and bars right i think that would really make for fascinating reading mm-hmm. i mean there's a lot of books very learned books you know that kind of dissect uh eugene deb's life and his motivations and so forth but to me what i've always found the most intriguing was just reading his speeches just reading his oratory i mean that's where you really learn what the man was about i think and um so i'm sorry go ahead oh there's there's one aspect kind of maybe going back in time a little bit that um i i felt intriguing we we talked about how the socialist movements kind of fractionalized and had different views. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, uh, Debs was kind of uh, he split from uh, Victor Berger, 
we m- m- yes. mentioned previously. And mm-hmm. uh, Victor Berger was part of what was called derogatorily the sewer socialists. Right. But these were, and I was I was curious about that term sewer socialist. So I just read a little bit about it. And it's something that I'd really like to study more. But apparently these were socialists uh, kind of concentrated in Milwaukee mm-hmm. that um, kind of didn't, weren't so much about the revolutionary, right. big highfalutin yes. Marxist ideas kind of and Leninist type stuff. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to, um, you know, just kind of have a democratic process and, 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 and make things better in an incremental aspect. And, and the reason they got the sewer socialist name was because they wanted to sort of clean up the mess created by the Industrial Revolution that just right. like gigantic factories and pollution everywhere. Mm-hmm. So they um, they pushed for and actually achieved Milwaukee developed uh, a really nice sewer system, that, which I think then after the and, – and the Milwaukee Socialists went to about 1960 – uh, they had control, and then after that, the sewer went downhill and eventually had E. coli problems. But anyway, I think they're better now. Now they fixed right. the sewer once again. <laughs> but Crystosporidium problems. Aren't but anyway, yeah, much. the Milwaukee sewer <laughs> just keeps popping up. You it know, it, it hits the news every now and then, and it, it and does. It's, it's, it's fascinating that it's actually tied to this whole socialist movement. But but what and, you're talking about, I mean, Big Bill Haywood actually made a, a couple of statements about that, which I think tie right into that, where he said uh-huh. that parliamentary socialists were step at a time people whose every step is just a little shorter than the preceding one. He said it's better to elect the superintendent of some branch of industry than to elect some congressman to the United States Congress. Yeah, it's. I guess why I'd like to study it, it more is because just the little bit I've I've read about them, I, I kind of like the sewer socialists and their little more pragmatic incremental approach is, is somewhat yeah. appealing to me. So maybe I'd change my mind once I learn more, but... Um, no, I think I, that's I what the, it, I, the the Milwaukee mayors, soci- socialist mayors, yeah. were very much like that. It's like I said, yeah. they would try to take what they had. I'm going to call and... Tor the windmill socialist. <laughs> windmill? Yeah, you're a windmill socialist. <laughs> Why a windmill socialist? Well, because that's the new sewer socialist. You're trying <laughs> to like do clean energy. And... Oh, yeah, clean energy. Yeah. Windmill well, socialist. That, that'd be a wind generator. Yeah. I mean, windmill socialist. I'm not saying we have to grind our flower by way. wind directly, but... <laughs> Wind generator. I love I love yeah. wind turbines. You're just a sound. black panel that generates yeah. electricity type socialist. I always yeah. love to stare at them. So yeah. if you have some feedback about this podcast, let us know at feedback at tankriot.com. Gentlemen, should we go to mailbag? Sure. Mailbag. I have one from Christopher who asked an interesting question, and I don't know if you're implying something or you're just asking a question. Have you ever recorded a podcast that just failed so hard you didn't post it or get together to record one and only make it partway through giving up on it? (laughs) It's like, what are you saying? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes we've been a little bit too liquored up to really make it coherent, but... That we usually publish it anyway. We usually we put it out there anyway. So yeah, I can't think of anyone that we have never actually published. It's always been published. The, well, there. I think there was one where, where the recording failed. Oh or, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we yeah. had a recording. But, but other than that, no, we, we we took that subject and we re-recorded it. We're but, about total disclosure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is what yeah. it is, people. Oh, and I really want to thank Greg. Who sent this in and said, tell Sputnik he can find radio episodes of The Saint, uh, which is the uh, Vincent Price radio series, uh, over at the Relic Radio podcast. And then he sends the um, 
the link to it. And I really appreciate that because that that's a great podcast. So thank you. I just want to say, I, I don't want to say too much about the emailer, but Merrill wrote us an email that was really wonderful about how much he had seen Jerry Anderson episodes and, mm-hmm. As a child, spent a lot of his time watching Jerry Anderson. It was a very touching email. We really appreciate it, and thanks for thanks for saying hi to us. And we appreciate it. And um, yeah, that's all I want to say. <laughs> all right, sounds good. I have one from uh, Jake who writes us that he is uh, is a, a fan of the show, and he uh, found out about it by just searching on iTunes for anything about Stanley Kubrick and we came up. So it's always nice to be associated with Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. <laughs> the beauty of keywords. <laughs> no, I know. I'm going to rewatch. Uh, I've been, I've been, yeah, reading a lot more about, um, the, the Kubrick, the Jack Nicholson movie, the shining, the shining, the Shining. God, you're such a huge Stephen King fan. I can't yeah. believe you. Well, no, and I, I, I've seen them both. I've seen both the, the Stephen King approved and the Jack Nicholson version. And the more I've read, there's a new documentary out about the Jack, um, about the Jack Nicholson version called Room Two Sixty Seven or Two Thirty Seven. Oh, um, and I haven't seen the documentary, but it's made me want to revisit the, the real Shining, movie. Uh, <laughs> the Shining. We don't want to get sued. <laughs> Well, we we got an email from Paul, and uh, it, it's a wonderful update that he brings us. In uh, episode 49, we talked about a strange sound known as the blue. Oh, yes. In the ocean. I yeah. saw this email, too. Just, and, yeah. You know, people are like, is this flying saucers or monsters or... or Huge or, or, undersea wha- creature. Yeah, 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 or Nazi base, something, you know, right? And, uh, well, anyway, scientists, if you, you know, if you're going to believe scientists, science have determined that it's actually, uh, cracking icebergs. That makes sense to me. It truly <laughs> yeah. does. I yeah. mean, cause that would make a huge resonance sound, you know, but yeah. in a way I'm kind of disappointed when I read that email. I was kind of like, uh, I kind of wanted a bloop, but yes. okay. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I whatever. prefer Godzilla fart. Uh-huh. <laughs> Either or with, yeah, big bubbles. But, yeah. but this is... <laughs> it's totally believable for someone who lives in Wisconsin because in the middle of winter when it's get, it's really cold, you know, every building we're in, you know, every now and then you can just hear a kind of a shift. That's right. Of the, <laughs> it's just that cold. Everything's just so cold that everything, you know, suddenly the whole building structure just flexes and <laughs> these little sensations. You seldom like, yeah. get those days anymore. Yeah, it's, <laughs> but, all, it's warmer now for some reason. Yeah, we don't know yeah. why. We don't want to speculate. Yeah. And it's not global. Anyway, Chris uh, Judge, artist extraordinaire who did uh, one of our tank drawings, sent us an awesome picture. Is a picture of a small boy of maybe 11 years old meeting an old man. David Lynch, age 11, who dotes on horror movies, is greeted by Vincent Price during the actor's appearance last night at Hardwick College on Oneida. The youngster is son of Mr. and Mrs. Robert Lynch of Walton. That's great. That's fascinating. Yeah, that is. David Lynch met Vincent Price. (laughs) I mean, I mean, in a certain sense, why wouldn't they? How meet? perfect is that? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I've got something to say about our Vincent Price episode that I didn't get to say during the episode, and God damn it, I'm going to say go. It. 
Robert Quarry was supposed to kind of replace Vincent Price as this API version of the Christopher Lee. He was going to be the new sexy vampire bad guy kind of guy. Right. And Vincent Price hated him. Yeah. And in, in Dr. Fives Rises Again or whatever, the second Dr. Fives movie, Robert Quarry plays the guy that Fives is working against. And there's this scene where they they showed that Robert Quarry could sing. And Robert Quarry was like singing, ha, look, I can sing. And he turns to Vincent Price classically and says, you didn't know I could sing, did you? And And Vincent Price says, well, I knew you couldn't fucking act. <laughs> Bazinga. I mean, that is... That's perfect. Perfect. I don't recall that being in the movie, though. No, it wasn't in the movie. No, no, no. No, 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 no. But, but yeah, the rivalry was huge on this set. <laughs> oh, God. I have one from Anna, who, uh, again, really enjoyed the, the Vincent Price episode. And our extended political discussion before it. <laughs> she said, that was the best three hours of work listening I've had this year. I heard Alex <laughs> Jones was involved. <laughs> she said, there was another Cushing Lee Price movie in addition to Scream and Scream Again, something called House of Long Shadows, which we didn't mention, right. which we should have, because that, that just had like everybody in it and was in very, very good. And she also enjoyed The Fifth Beetle, uh, bringing up Madhouse. So thank you very much, uh, Anna. We appreciate it. Yeah, that was cool having the fifth Beatle on. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, the neat thing about having the, the fifth Beatle, which uh, Victor recorded the conversation uh, with him, so I wasn't here for it. Nor and, was I. And, and, and so when I listened to the show, it's like for the first time, it's not a rerun for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's like, hey, I'm hearing this fresh. Yeah, this is. A, I, I got to listen to a Tank Ride episode where, <laughs> where uh, I, I wasn't there. Actually, there have been a few where I, I wasn't able to make the show, and Sputnik and Victor did the whole show themselves. So I, I guess it wasn't the first time, but it was fun. For me, so. <laughs> My goddamn voice has been in every goddamn second of this show. That's true. That I'm is out true. Of here right now, <laughs> I quit. Um, we've got one from Chad that I thought was really interesting. He really loved uh, the Frank Lloyd Wright episode and said that we did a fine job. And he speaks both as a cheesehead and an architect. But he said we did not mention that Anthony Quinn studied under Frank Lloyd Wright at Taliesin. Yeah. I No, I no. did not know that. No. A lot of people did wow. study under him. And yes, we missed that. You did not, and now it's in the episode. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> that 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 is fascinating. I I had no idea. <laughs> uh, we got an email from Craig, who was just, in his own words, picture it. I'm the guy running down the street, listening along with the recent Vincent Price episode, <clears throat> trying to be patient and failing. <laughs> no one can tell what I'm listening to. They can just hear me arguing with myself about how can you forget the saint? <laughs> Thank you for going back to it. <laughs> also, pretty good collection of those out on the Internet Archive. So anyway, yeah, we, we eventually hit the topic you wanted to hear. So anyway, thanks for the email, Craig. Oh, absolutely. We also got one from uh, P.E. Froning. P.E. has taken on the task of changing the Tank Riot <laughs> Uh, Facebook page header, depending on what the episode is about. And 
it's it's pretty fantastic because when I log in and look at our website, which I, I do every now and then, the fifth Beatle is technically in charge. There's a big Vincent Price head saying "boo" at you now, <laughs> and and I I told him it was going to be hard. I don't know what you're going to do for our next episode, but good luck. <laughs> it's Eugene B. Debs. And by the way, about Eugene B. Debs, there's a radio station W. Uh, EVD, mm-hmm. which eventually became ESPN. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So ESPN. All sports all the time. All sports all the time. <laughs> yeah, but on the socialist. But Eugene it's specifically WEVD was named after Eugene Debs. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. It wasn't a coincidence. No, yeah. no. Yeah. But Debs had nothing to do with it, but it was named in his honor. Right. Yeah. So yeah. ESPN, yes, originally grew from Debs. But anyway. Yeah, PE Friday also. We says, wouldn't have ESPN if we didn't have Eugene V. Debs, right? Right. Yeah, I think that's true. The father of all sports. The father of all sports. <laughs> <laughs> so next time the jock is telling you who the hell is Eugene Debs, <laughs> you say ESPN, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so he sent us a, a link to a documentary on Wisconsin public television called. Uh, uh, bottoms up, Wisconsin's historic bars and breweries. Ooh. So maybe we should throw a link to that up. And then people over the holidays can be like, I might skip that Christmas episode of Dang Riot. <laughs> just and look just at watch this. this documentary about drinking. <laughs> it might achieve the same effect. I had a college professor that he was kind of a younger guy, and he announced that he and a friend were going to try to um, visit uh, every bar in the Eau Claire uh, Wisconsin phone book. Ooh. And uh, long story short, he gave up. Yeah, I <laughs> was going to say too you, many. You're looking at alcohol poisoning after a certain point. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it, he w- didn't give himself like one night or something. He gave himself a year to get it done. Wow. And th- okay. That was, still was too much. Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was, I mean, it was columns and columns in the phone book. Wow. Yeah. So that? I mean, if you got a, a yeah. you know a history book on the entire state of Wisconsin on that stuff, sure, you know that that's going to be insane. I mean, <laughs> we're talking large numbers here. You need you know advanced statistical programs to analyze this. Oh, no yeah. kidding, no kidding. Freakonomics too, right? I have an email from Scott. This is back to Doctor Fibes again. Okay, he saw both of the Fibes movies in the theater uh, first run at age twelve. Wow. Which so he stayed twelve for how many years? But anyway. <laughs> um, Burn. <laughs> Burn by Tor. That is a rare occasion. That hurts. Yeah, oh, that, that does hurts. Hurt. He said, you know, back in those days the the theaters there were theaters in town that showed only films that you, you know were like Attack of the Giant Leeches, Night of the Lepus, all the hammer films. Oh, I remember yeah. that film. That was they yeah. were huge rabbits. Oh yeah, yeah. Night of the Leap. Uh, <laughs> That's like Day of the Triffids. It kind of was. They're just I'm a tree. I'm really slow. Yeah, and God, he I said that, that movie. The old too. prints would tour for years in those uh, 1970 pre VCR days. But uh, he said that movie, the the Fibes movies, gave him nightmares. He said he loved it so much. And he said his parents had no idea what kind of film he was going to see because that was back in the uh, pre-carnal knowledge. All films were presumed to be kid-friendly. So, you know, all the movies are nice. Why would I worry about what my kid sees? But, yeah. It's just a movie. Um, <laughs> and he totally, you know, believed in the whole Dr. Fibes thing. And Oh, cool. Anyway. That sounds very good. 
Well, gentlemen, so. I think that wraps up yet another episode of Tank Riot. I got to say, though, a special thanks to Yan Rubak for giving us tonight I Paint and Flesh Color by Tom Bagley. Yeah. This is a oh, yeah. beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, and thanks to Tom for. Yeah. We've really enjoyed that stuff. Yes, we have. And we're going to we're going to send off this episode with another song from the amazing Jackson Fives, who may or may not be Tom Bagley. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure, but there's a, a wonderful Canadian uh, band called the Agnostic Fives Rhythm and Blood Conspiracy, and they have an, an album called Campfire Tales. And we're going to play a song as our outro for that. Today's episode. Oh, hey, and before I forget, it's a contest. Uh, it's episode 130. It's a contest. Correctly identify the secret message that we sent to you in episode 122, and you will be entered in a contest to receive Tank Riot's Scotty Nation swag. A couple people have already found the secret message, so good luck. Good evening. This has been Tank Riot.
Gentlemen. Um, I need a beer. I need a smoke. Then we can do dabs. And we're outie. <laughs>